This is the reason why Mordechai chose to leave his family, his home, his country. There's a very strong message here. The orchestrators of the miracle, Mordechai and Esther, don't just think they were just some nice, good people that God just decided to do miracles for them. They earned the miracle. They earned everything that God gave them. And in this beginning of the Megillah, already we're seeing a little glimpse of what Mordechai is all about. Mordechai was a person who was ready to sacrifice his own comfort, his own happiness for his cousin. A relationship. that's going to be b'shalom, needs to have some level of sacrifice. Mordechai, you should know, was the Rosh Sanhedrin. He was a very prominent person even before the story of the Megillah. Yet this prominent man, the head of the Jewish people practically, he went to Galut to take care of a little girl. He sacrificed a lot for this girl. We just started reading Sefer Vayikra. In Sefer Vayikra we read about Korbanot. A Korban is a sacrifice that we bring to God. But what's the sacrifice? On a simple level, the animal costs a lot of money. You have to go to the Beit HaMikdash. It's not easy. It's not an easy trip. And you bring this korban on the Mizbeah, on the altar. You're sacrificing of your time, of yourself, of your money. You should know that the word korban, lehakriv, could mean to sacrifice. And lehakriv could mean to bring close. That's not by accident. The same word, lehakriv. If you want to become close to someone, you want to become closer to your husband, you want to come closer to your child, you want to become closer to your student, you want to become closer to your friend, you need to have korban. You have to be able to sacrifice something. And it has to be clear to the other person. If I see that someone is sacrificing for me, that's going to be the beginning of the shalom relationship. When we speak about korban, so I'm going to tell you great stories. I'm going to share with you the story of Rahel Imenu who sacrificed everything, really, her future husband, her future children, her future greatness, she sacrificed it all. She gave it up 
for her sister Leah. Just so Leah shouldn't be embarrassed. She was the one going to marry Yaakov. She didn't know that if after marrying Leah, he would marry her as well. That was not part of the plan. So as far as she knew, she was going to marry Aisab. And it's a different future for Rahab. She gave it all up. She was makrib for her sister. But I think speaking about Rahel is way over our head. We could speak about Moshe Rabbeinu, the greatest man that ever lived. What made him so great? We could point to so many things. But the one thing that we see, and that's clear, is his sacrifice for the Jewish people. To the point that when God told him, after the Egel, God said to him, okay, I'll destroy them all. And I will make the nation from you. It's a great opportunity. He's the new Abraham Avinu, Moshe. Moshe says, no, no, no. If they go, I go. If they go, you, you could erase me. I'm not interested. A great leader like Moshe Rabbeinu only had followers because they knew that he would be makriv himself and his future for them. But I think that's way over our head. I could tell you a great story about people during our times. There was a great rabbi, Rabbi Yaakov Weinberg. Zecher Tzaddik Levracha. He had once in his life spent a few months as temporary Rosh Yeshiva of a small yeshiva. He slept in a house owned by the yeshiva at the time. But the house had no heat. So an electric heater was installed in his room. The students became concerned when Rav Yaakov caught a winter cold that did not go away. So one student went to check his room to make sure that the heater was working properly. When he checked, the heater was nowhere to be found. The yeshiva's cooks a Russian immigrant couple slept in another part of the house, also owned by the yeshiva. And for some unknown reason, no one had thought to take care of the heat in their quarters. Rav Yaakov had secretly moved the heater from his room to theirs because he didn't want them to catch a cold. That's what he said. This is sacrificing your own comfort for somebody else. We spoke a few weeks ago about the great Rav Nassim Svi Finkel, the late Rosh Hashiva of the Mir. During 1991, when there was the Scud, war, Scud missiles that were raining down in Eres Israel. 
tremendous danger. Many of us remember that time. Even in America, we were nervous for people living in Israel. People had prepared their masks. They had prepared rooms that were sealed. That when the siren would go off, so they would run quickly to those sealed rooms, hopefully to stay out of danger. The Mir also had a protocol of what they would do if the siren would sound. There were 1,200 students at the time. They had this room that they would all congregate into. So the first time the siren went off in Yerushalayim, and quickly all the students gathered into that room, and they locked the door. And 10 minutes later, there's a knock on the door. And the person who organized the system of how they would get quickly into the room was very upset. How could, how could someone not follow the rules? They come in 10 minutes late. They're putting us all in danger. So the door kept knocking. He said, who is it? So he told them, it's Nassim Svi Finkel. It was the Rosh Hashiva who lived not close to the yeshiva. But when the siren sounded, he left his family, his children, his wife, and went to be with the boys in the yeshiva. Because the boys in the yeshiva came, many of them from out of town. They had no parents with them. They had no family with them. He left his own home in a time of danger to be with the students in the yeshiva. If you want shalom, if I would want shalom with my students, I have to show a level of self-sacrifice. Without it, we're building on mud. It's not an accident that he was beloved by his students. They, sh they saw clearly his sacrifice for them. But that might be over our head too. I think there are other things that today we need to sacrifice. Baruch Hashem, we don't have missiles coming our way. I don't think we'll have the test of Moshe Rabbeinu or Rahel because I don't think we'll be able to pass them. But there's other types of sacrifices that we can make for other people. And like I said, we may not have to do it for every person that we see. But anyone important in our lives, we must. And they must know it. You see, parents sacrifice for their children. But very often children don't know it. It's important that children see it in their own way. The most important asset that we have that we can give to others is our time. You can't imagine what it means to a child when his parents take interest in what he is doing in his life. 
it's true sometimes they don't look like they care. But they see if their parents are leaving a hectic home to go meet with the teachers in school to see how they're doing. Children notice when their parents are giving them time just for them. A quick note or a card that maybe you spent a half hour looking for. You might ask a card for a half hour. Is it worth it? The card's probably not worth it, no. But the time spent in finding that card is something that will be recognized and appreciated. Sacrificing our time for our children. Sacrificing our time for our friends. Sacrificing our money for our children. It doesn't mean only giving them money. But even if we're ready to lose money for them. Sometimes there are very important things coming our way. And it goes against our schedule with our children. Sometimes we have no choice. But if we're able to sacrifice and give up some of our own financial success to spend time with them, that's a sacrifice. Again, you can't do it every time. But when it's done, it's appreciated. It builds shalom. Sometimes we have to sacrifice our pleasures. Maybe the vacation that we wanted to take is colliding with something very important that's going on in the home. Maybe Shabbat's going to be very, very empty with the parents not home. So the parents have to sacrifice some of their own free time. Doesn't mean you can't go on vacation. But you have to measure always. Are my children going to see my sacrifice for them? And again, because if I want to build a relationship with them, I must have shalom. And to have shalom, I must show them sacrifice. But what do you mean I'm sacrificing from the day they're born? All I do is give them. All I do is not sleep with God. But guess what? They don't see all of that. Not everything children see. So when we have an opportunity to take something of ourselves and to give it to them, we are building a great structure for the future. And the so same with our friends. Let's continue in the Megillah. It says that Esther was taken to see if she would be a fit to be the next queen. This took time. They didn't just bring her to the king to meet him. There was preparation. Months and months and months and months of preparation. Before you're ready to see the king. The Pasuk says, Ubechol yom vayom. Mordechai mitalech. Every single day. Every single day. Remember, Mordechai is not a simpleton. Mordechai is the head of the Jewish people. Every day he would walk in front of Hazar Betan Nashim. Every day he would walk in front of where Esther was. 
Ladaat et shalom Esther. To know, to find out how Esther is doing. And what's going to happen to her? Esther wasn't in jail. Esther was in a spa. They were getting her ready to see the king. What's he concerned about? He knew Esther was not happy where she was. She was not interested in the king. Shalom Esther, he wanted to see how she was faring, how she was eating. He knew that she's not interested in whatever they would offer her. He was afraid they would kill her. It doesn't say he wanted to know if she's going to be the queen. He was afraid that because she's not going to be putting up with these people, they're not going to put up with her. So what was Mordechai offering by walking every day past the Hatsar Bet Nashim? What was he doing for her? The truth, there was nothing for him to do. But just being there, for a person who's all alone, Esther was all alone. She may have had a lot of people around her, but she was all alone. There was no one there that she was interested to speak to or to be with. And Mordechai understood that. And Mordechai couldn't be with her. But he would walk But he would walk to the furthest point that he could go. Even though he couldn't go in. Just to show Esther that he was interested in her. He was thinking about her and she's not alone. You might ask, what's the value of doing something that really makes no difference? But the truth is, it makes a big difference. There's something called no se be'ol, carrying the burden with somebody else. It doesn't make sense necessarily. A person's having troubles, lo alenu velo alechem. Somehow, some way, I don't know how it works. But if they feel that somebody else also shares their pain, somehow the box becomes lighter to carry. Esther is by herself. But if she sees that Mordechai feels her pain, that makes her time easier. Not always can we do for others. But the fact that we feel what they feel is a very big support. And it creates shalom. I shared with you, I shared with you a story a few weeks ago about Nassim about that woman that came. I can't give a better story, so I have to repeat it. There's no better story for this. 
about the woman that came, a woman or a man, I forget, that came to ask the rabbi for his tefillot because they were diagnosed, Lo'alena, with something. And the rabbi was very weak. And he told this person, he says, you know, I'm too weak to learn. I'm too weak to say to Helim for you. But one thing I could do is I could cry. Go get a Tehillim book, start reading it, and I'll cry with you. That's Mordechai Metalech. Even if I can't do anything, but if I can make you feel like I share in your pain, that's something. For any relationship to have shalom, there has to be this element. That when a person is happy, you're happy sincerely for them. It's not so easy to be happy for others. It's not about just going to the wedding. It's about making the person feel that their simha is your simha. There has to be some sincerity to it. When a person is down, sometimes you can't do anything. Most times you can't do anything. But, if you hear the person out, if you feel bad, that itself is a very big help. If you can cry with a person, it's a very high level. That's something unbelievable. You want a true friend? You want a true relationship with your children? Sometimes they struggle. Our children sometimes struggle in life. It's not easy out there. And sometimes they have to feel that their parents understand their struggles. It doesn't mean they have to agree with them. It doesn't mean they have to like what they're doing. But a child should feel that my parents understand me. That in itself is a very big builder of a relationship. There's one more point. Maybe two. We have a few minutes. In the Megillah it says, you know the famous story with Bigtam Vateresh, the two men that wanted to poison the king. And the Pasuk says, Mordechai found out. Vayaged le Esther Malka. Vayaged means he said it over to Esther. And then the pasuk says, Vatomer Esther la Melech b'shem Mordechai. Esther said to the king in the name of Mordechai. If you notice, the words change from the way Mordechai said it to the way Esther said it. By, by Mordechai it says, Vayaged. He told it over to Esther. By Esther it says, Vatomer Esther. Why the difference in Vayaged and Vatomer? The Mepharshim explained that when Esther found out, when Mordechai found out about what these men were planning to do, his plan was not to tell Esther that she should say it in his name. 
He wanted Esther to have all the good that would come out of saving the king's life. So Vayaged, he told it over as a story. Like Haggadah. When I tell you over the Haggadah, I'm not telling you to say somebody else. I heard a story, let me share it with you. Because his interest was that Esther should benefit. On the other hand, Esther, Vatomer Esther Lamelech. Vatomer means she said it over. She told the king, listen, this is what Mordechai told me. Because Esther was interested that Mordechai should get the benefit. This is complete opposite of our society. Our society is all about me. How I can get more for myself. If the other person gets the same... Even there, I may not be so happy. But certainly, I want to get at least as much, if not more. Our life that we live is like a, it's like a game that we play. That we always have to be on top. I have to have more than you. I have to have bigger, more, I have to be more popular, better looking, smarter, wealthier. And that's where I succeed in my life. To build... Shalom in a relationship. It's got to be the other way around. If the person feels that you are ready to give up of yourself, to give them more than yourself, that when you have one slice, you're ready to give it to them, that they should have it and not you. Mordechai is ready to give it to Esther and she gives the Mordechai. That's going to build shalom. In any relationship that's going to be matzliach, you have to have the midah of mevater. If I know that somebody would give me something that they have, mevater, you know what the word mevater means? It comes from the word yoter. Yoter means more. Usually, I want more. Mevater means I want you to have more. I'd be very happy if you had more money than me. I'd be very happy if you were better looking than me. I'd be very happy if you had more children than me. I'd be very happy if you had better children than me. Could you do that? Can I do that? I don't know. But we could try. We could try. It's a mindset. It's a mindset that I am who I am. I'm happy with who I am. And when I put others ahead of me, I only become greater. I don't become less. Putting others ahead doesn't make you less. It makes you more. It's an illusion to think otherwise. And on that note, very closely connected, we'll finish with the Megillah. The Megillah says in the end, says that Mordechai Yehudi, the last pasuk, Ki Mordechai Yehudi mishne la melech Ahashverosh. He was second in command to Ahashverosh. Ahashverosh at that time was practically the ruler of the entire world. Mordechai was second in command. Vegadol la Yehudim. As far as the Jews are concerned, he was the Gadol. Today we have Gedolim, Baruch Hashem. He was the Gadol. 
No one greater than Mordechai. The Pasuk ends, Doresh Tov Le'amo. He was always seeking the good of his nation. Vedover Shalom Le'kol Zar'o. He would speak Shalom to all of his children and grandchildren. Even the little children, even the little kids. Mordechai did not allow his power to affect his simplicity. Mordechai reached the highest level that anybody here would, we would never be able to achieve. Yet his simplicity was even simpler than us. He treated a little boy, the neighbor's boy, a person who was not so wealthy, not so powerful, the same. A reminder of Abraham Avinu, as we learned months back, when he came back from the Akedah, when Abraham came back from that great moment of the Akedah, which raised him above all of humanity, when he was ready to sacrifice his son, the Pasuk ends, Vayakumu vayelechu yahdav el be'er shava. Yahdav, it says they all went together to be'er Shabbat. The Farshim asks, what's the significance of that, that they went together? And the answer, Abraham just reached a great height in his life. You would think on his level, he would have looked at everybody around him like a nobody. He would have said, oh, now I'm Abraham. I'm, I just passed the greatest test in history. You know what kind of level I'm on? That's it. I'm not a regular guy. But when he went back to the people that were waiting for him, they saw no difference. Yahdav. He didn't talk about it. He didn't show any differences that would make them feel that they were any less than him. They were less than him. He was greater, but he wouldn't show it. They went together. To build shalom, you need sacrifice in the relationship. Three things. Sacrifice. You need to show the other person that you sincerely care. And the last thing that we said is mevater. Try to make the other person more successful than you. Try to make him get more than you. They're not easy to do and we probably can't do it for everybody. But at least in those relationships that are close to us, we'll be able to invest in this area. Be'ezat Hashem, we should be zocheh to have relationships that are built on shalom, true shalom. And from then, we'll have simha, we'll have happiness, and we'll have nisim. Hashem will see the shalom, like He saw by Mordechai and Esther, the great shalom they had with each other and with Am Yisrael. And through that brought nisim. We will be the zocheh for the same Be'ezat Hashem. Good afternoon. I think we're running a little bit late, and I'd like to begin 
by saying that this gathering is here is in zechut of all the six children in Klai Yisrael. Not only is there lo'aleinu <coughs> sick children, but there are also lo'aleinu many sick adults that need a Yeshua. Ladies, the truth of the matter is, is what we really need is Mashiach. That's what we really need. And sometimes, when we think of this concept, this idea of Mashiach, it's difficult to grasp. Is he really going to come? What is it going to be like? I'd like to read you over a Mishnah. The last Mishnah in Gemara Sota, which describes what the world is going to be like right before Mashiach comes. And you tell me if we're living in the time where Mashiach is on the footsteps. Let me read it to you. It says like this, Be'ekvot Mashiach. Right before Mashiach will come, on the heels of Mashiach. You know what it's going to be like? The Mishnah starts off, Chutzpah Yizgeh. Arrogance is going to be the order of the day. People are going to be very arrogant out there. They're not going to be nice at all. Okay? Then it says, V'yokir ya'amir. Prices are going to soar. <clears throat> People will not be able to afford things. Just too expensive. Hagefen titen There'll be plenty of grapes to make wine, but it will still be expensive because so many people are going to be partying. People are not going to be interested in what's important anymore. Governments are going to turn into heresy, where there are going to be many non-believers. And people, the multitudes can sin. And get away with it. There'll be nobody to rebuke. A place where great sages once sat is now houses of promiscuity. Ladies, listen to this. Those who fear, who have those who have fear of sin, will be rejected. You fear sin, the multitudes will reject you. Truthfulness will end. Listen to this. The young will disgrace the old. The young, the old will stand up for the young. Because they're going to be afraid of them. Ben Menavel Av, a child won't be afraid to disgrace his father. Bat Kama Be'ama, a daughter will stand up to her mother. Listen to this one. Kala Be'hamota, a daughter-in-law will stand up to her mother-in-law. Imagine the nerve. This is written 2,000 years ago where they couldn't understand it. You mean there's going to come a time... 
There's going to come a time in our history where a daughter-in-law will stand up to her mother-in-law? Can't be. I'm glad you're laughing. A man's biggest enemy will be his own household. The face of the generation will look like the face of the dog. Now that's hard to understand. But I once saw a sign in Manhattan, signed by the mayor of New York, hanging in a barbershop. So I went close to read it. I saw the seal of the mayor of New York. And what was it? It was an invitation for everybody to come to Central Park for a owner-dog look-alike contest. The more you look like your dog, the more you have a chance to win. I, could, I read it over and over and over again. This is with the seal of the mayor of New York. Very important. The face of that generation will be like the face of the dog. So I was telling it over to somebody a few days later. And they brought me the picture of the winner. Looked exactly like his dog. And there were people that were upset there. What do you mean? I think I look more like my dog than he looks like his dog. Could you imagine that with I? This is the generation we live in. A son is not embarrassed from his father. This is what the generation right before Mashiach comes is going to look like. And what do we have to depend on? If there's no more rebuke and there's no more truthfulness and there's arrogance, so what do we have to depend on? Only Avinu Shabashamayim, that's all. Only our Father in Heaven, nothing else. Ladies, we need Mashiach. And it's up to us to bring the Mashiach. And there are different ways described on how to bring the Mashiach. But I want to read you a Hazal. The Hazal says the following. The Hazal says, En ben David ba Mashiach is not coming until all the neshamot in the goof are going to come down. What's the goof? The goof is a chamber in heaven. And in that chamber, all the neshamot that weren't born yet are waiting to go into a body to be born. And until that chamber is empty, Mashiach cannot come. So it is up to us to bring the Mashiach. The more children we have, the more we're helping emptying the goof. But I'd like to go back a step before that. It's not the type of dirashah that you thought you were going to have today. What do I want to tell you? I want to talk about Shidduchim. I don't know if you people are aware, but there's a big problem in the community today. Many of our children are not getting married. Where you used to be invited to two, three weeks, two, 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 three times a week a wedding, now it's maybe once a month. And people are getting frightened out there. I have a daughter 22, 23, 21, 24, son that's 27, 28. They're not getting married. And everybody's giving, giving different reasons and theories why they're not getting married, which I'm not going to get into now. 
My topic today is to talk to you about helping people getting married, them having children, emptying the goof, the chamber, and Mashiach will come. Very simple formula. But let's talk about it a little bit. We all know that Olam Abba is the most important thing in life. I'll tell you a little story. You can laugh a little. There was a fellow who followed the Mishnah to the letter, to the letter. The Mishnah says, Pat b'melech tochal, eat bread and salt, Mayim b'mshurat drink measured amounts of water, ve'ala aretz tishan, sleep on the earth, right? Ve'chayet tzar t'chayet, live a very difficult life. And if you have to do that to learn to not do it. So this fellow followed that order, and he knew if he would do that, he's going to get a big share in Olam Abba. He was only worried about Olam Abba. Now he gets older and it's time for him to get married. And he thinks, wait a minute, if I get married, I may become happy. I don't want to be happy, but I want to have a big share in Olam Abba. So he doesn't know what to do. He opens the books and he finds in the books that if a man, if it's Mazal, his luck, and he ends up with a bad wife, and he stays with that wife, He's going to have a big share in Olam Abba. So here's my answer. I'll marry a lousy, no good for nothing woman. I'll get Olam Abba. He goes out there and he looks. He talks to all the Shatchanim. He says, I want the worst, most rotten girl you have. He goes from town to town. He can't find. Finally, he goes to one Shatchan. He describes one. And he says, have I got a girl for you? She's no good for nothing. She's rotten. She's terrible. She'll curse you. Okay, Allah, they go on a date, he comes out, he says, perfect, wonderful. They get married. The next day after the marriage, he goes to yeshiva, he's coming home, and he's ready to start his life of misery. Figures he's going to walk in the door, his wife's going to hit him over the head with a frying pan. Yeah. He walks in the door, his wife greets him with a big smile, welcome, my dear husband. The table is set with candlelight. A beautiful six-course meal. He can't understand it, but he says, must be the beginning of marriage affected her also. It'll get better. It'll get worse. The next day he comes home expecting the worst, and the same thing. And the third day, even better. Doesn't know what to do. Fourth day he comes home, he can't take it anymore. Everything is perfect, candlelight, food. He says, what happened to you, my dear wife? Can't you go back to your miserable, old, rotten ways? She says, what? And give you all on my bar, not on your life. <laughs> but we all agree. We all agree that we live in this world for one reason. For all on bar, nothing else. All on bar is and will be the greatest pleasure but it can only be reached through this world. There's a Mishnah that describes how you earn Olam Abba. The Mishnah says the following. Ilu devarim, she'adam oseotam. These are the things which a person does. Ochel mi perotehem ba'olam He eats from its fruits in this world. Ve'akeren kayemet lo le'olam Abba. And the dividends are in the next world. What are they? Ve'lohen. Kibuda va'em, respecting one's parents. Gimilut hasadim, doing kindness. 
Hashkamat bet hakeneset. Getting up early to go to the synagogue. And then all of a sudden it says, Bikur holim. Visiting the sick. And then, Hachnasat kala. Helping a bride get married. And then, Levayat met And escorting the met, the dead person, to his final resting place. Ladies, there is a problem with this Mishnah. It says, Bikur Holim, visiting the sick. And then it says, helping the needy bride. And then escorting the dead. It's out of order. It should say, visiting the sick. And then escorting the dead. Why is Haknasat Kala in the middle of visiting the sick and escorting the dead? Answer the great Lalava Rebbe gives is that if you want to avoid the sick from becoming the dead, help brides get married. Stick that in the middle. You have somebody that's sick, let's go help some poor brides. Then they won't come to Levayatamet. Good? Okay, fine, wonderful. Hashem Himself, God Himself, was involved with the bride. It says, God took the rib from Adam and He built it. He shaped it into a woman. He Himself brought Hava to Adam Arishon. And He said, here, this is your wife. The Gemara tells us that even one who is on the highest social level, he's up there, yes, should involve himself with brides that are on a lower level. Period. The Gemara Shabbat, ladies, it's a beautiful Gemara Shabbat that says the following. At the time a person is going to be judged after 120 years. They ask him the following questions. A little quiz. Did you do business honestly? Question number one. Question number two. Kavata itim la Torah. Did you set aside time every day to learn some Torah? Question number three. Did you engage in having children and procreating? And number four. Did you wait for the Mashiach? Now, let's go back to number three. Did you engage in procreation and attempting to have children? The Maharsha says over here, the issue is not whether you had children or not. Rather, it's whether he facilitated procreation by helping others to get married. Either financially or going out and making a shiduch, a bazra. This is what they're going to ask us after 120 years. Did you help facilitate procreation? Did you help somebody get married? And we're not talking about your own children. We're talking about even strangers. Did we do that? 
Hachnasat kala is as big as a part of your olam as anything else. And by the way, not only the poor are entitled. You won't believe it, but Shulchan Aruch tells us that when it comes to paying for expenses for a wedding, even a person who normally earns a living and is financially independent, but is going to go into big hawk for a wedding, is allowed to accept help for that wedding. And if he does it, Halakha says it's as if he's shofech damim, he's murdering. Because maybe his child won't get married. And then maybe children won't, get born, won't, won't be born. And that's like facilitating death. A guy by tzedakah, someone who's in charge of the town charity, and he has tzedakah to give out, then they should use it mainly to marry off brides who don't have money to get married. Yoreh Dea tells us, Shulchan Aruch, En tzedakah yoter gedolah mizu. There is no greater tzedakah than this. Than marrying off, helping somebody to get married. Greater tzedakah. Ladies, I don't know if you ever heard of Rav Zusha. Rav Zusha me'anapoli was a great, great tzaddik. He was ani. He had no money. He had nothing. And he didn't need anything. His wife told him, but in those days, if you didn't have a dowry for your daughter, she couldn't get married no matter who you are. And his wife told him, you know, our daughter's getting old already. She's 24, 25. We have a few daughters to marry off. We have no money. What are you going to do? How are you going to marry off your daughters? And what did, he t- what did she tell him? She gave him good advice. She says, I want you to travel to the town of Meserich, to your Rebbe, the Magid of Meserich, and go talk to him about it. He went. He went to his Rebbe. And he walked in there and he told the Rebbe he has to marry his daughter. And this is how much a dowry goes for today. He doesn't have the money. A lot of money. The Rebbe told him, stay here for a day or two. He stayed with him. He got him all the money. Whatever the amount is, the entire amount to marry off a daughter. And he gave it to him. Rav Zusha thanked him profusely. And Rav Zusha was on his way home. He had a long way to travel. He stopped off to rest on a little cliff. And he, all of a sudden he heard music. And he looks down, and there's a wedding going on. It's before the wedding. Now the music stops, and he is yelling and fighting. He doesn't know what's going on. And it's really getting rough down there. Now he notices from this little cliff a lady standing in a corner crying. He couldn't take it. He went down and he asked the woman, what's the matter? She says, I'm a widow, and I finally got enough money to marry off my daughter. And I had to hand over the dowry to the consuegro, to the other side. And I can't find the money. And they're calling me a thief. And I'm a liar. And now they want to stop the wedding and take the hatan and go home and leave me here with my daughter. The music stopped. Everything stopped. He says, to her, how much money did you lose? So she says, how much? He says, you know, I think I found it. Really? He says, yeah. How, how was the rubles? So many fifties and so many hundred. He says, wait here. He went back. He took all the money that Rebbe gave him. He, it was almost exactly the amount. He arranged it in that order. And he came back. And he says, yeah, I found it. The people overheard. They said, what? You found the money? They didn't know who he was. He was from a far off place. He says, yeah, I found it. 
So they started applauding and singing, carrying on on his shoulders. He's a hero. I said, okay, give us the money. He said, no, 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 one minute. He said, I want a reward. You want a reward for finding the money? You're a Jew, you have to return the money. No, no, I want a reward. Okay, how much you want? 50%. 50%? They beat him up, ripped his clothing, took the money and threw him out. Okay. He went back home, all beat up, told his wife what happened, and she said, I should have known better to leave you alone with money. You're going to find somebody to give it to. A few months went by. They have no money to marry their daughter. Back to the Rebbe. They went back to the Rebbe. And, they, and his Rebbe said to him when he walked in the door, listen, I know the whole story. I only have one question. Why did you ask for a 50% reward? What is that? He says, I'll tell you. They were giving me big honor, Kavod. They were carrying me on the shoulders. They were dancing with me. They wanted me to be the guest of honor. And I felt like I was losing from the mitzvah because of this Kavod. So if I knew, if I would ask for 50%, they would throw me out. Take the money and throw me out, and I'll leave with busy or not, and I'll get a bigger reward. That's why I did it. It's okay, I should have figured. <laughs> but Rabotai, what's the moral of the story? Here's a man who had to marry off his own daughter. He saw a poor widow and a poor bride standing there. He couldn't help himself. He gave away all the money. That's how great the mitzvah is. What is the most kadosh item on earth we have, ladies? What is it? Huh? Sefer Torah. Yes? Sefer Torah is the most kadosh item that we have on earth. There's nothing more kadosh. You know what it says? You know what the Allah says in Shulchan Aruch? Mochrim bet Knesset v'chen shah devarit sheh bekedushah v'afilu Sefer Torah l'hasi yetomim bezamim. Can you imagine? Halakha says, you'll sell a shul or any, anything which has Kiddushah, including a Sefer Torah, to marry off a poor bride. Now wait a minute. What if that's the only Sefer Torah in the town? Sell it. Too bad. Sell the Sefer Torah and marry off the bride. Could you imagine? This is what we have to do. If there's only one shul, Sell the shul and marry off the bride. That's the halachan shulhan aruch. Now, hachnasat kala, the mitzvah is not only on the wedding expenses, but also on furnishings. And also helping them rent an apartment. And setting them up. This is what Yoreh Da'a says. Many of you ladies heard of Acham Azra'atiyah, Lava Shalom. Yilid Halab. Yeah. Rosh Yeshiva Purat Yosef. Malach Hashem. He had a wife, Bolisa. He had a wife, Bolisa. They were very poor. She was self-sacrificed that her, son, that her husband could learn Torah and become who he was. But she was yearning for a new dress. She wanted to have a white dress for Yom Tov, for holidays, for Shabbat. She worked very hard and she saved penny by penny by penny. She finally was able to buy enough white material to go make a dress for Yom Tov. She went to the seamstress and she had the seamstress take the measurements and she made a deal how much it's going to cost to make the dress. Very good. The day came. The day came where she had to go pick up the dress. She went for a few fittings and now the day came the dress is wedding. She goes to pick up the dress. She has money to pay the seamstress. She tries it on and the seamstress is welling up in tears.
she started to cry. So she couldn't understand it. Crying for what? Because I bought a dress. She asked her, why are you crying? She says, because I, I'm a widow. And I have a daughter engaged to marry. And I need to make her a wedding dress. A white dress. And I have no money to do it. I barely make enough money to live. And I'm looking at this dress and I'm seeing how beautiful it would be on my daughter. The Rabbanit, without even thinking, told her, keep it. Take it for your daughter. And she went home without a dress. But very proud of what she did. Now she has to tell her husband. Now what would another husband do to this wife? Kill her. <laughs> Mejnun. He gave the dress away after all that. She went home. She came home. She told the Hamazrati. You're not going to believe what happened. She tells her husband the story. How do you think her husband reacted? He said, did you pay her for the work she did on the dress? She made it. She says, what well, pay her? I gave her the whole dress. He says, that's your business, but you hired her to make it for you. She made it for you. You have to pay her. Go back and give her the money for the work that she did on it. Besides giving her the dress. This is how you take care of the kala, the bride. Peleo Etz tells us the following. Should people who marry off their sons and daughters, the expense is very great. And it's very tight. And especially when you marry off daughters. It's very expensive. It's like, by helping them, it's like releasing somebody from captivity. The pain is very great. Where sometimes they go through disgrace to marry off their children rather than being a happy occasion. And the mother and father are very bitter. Somebody who has pity on them. God will have pity on you from heaven. Ladies, today there's a new movement out there. Girls are going for higher education and they're going to colleges and they're getting degree, degrees and they're going into the, into the workforce. I'm not here to tell you good, no good. I'm not here to tell you that. But I ask you a question. Is it important to get married? And is it important to get married young? Well, the word shiduch comes from the Aramaic word Shaddach. Shaddach means to be settled. Shaddach means to be at ease. Shaddach means to experience tranquility. To be happy in life. Naomi said to her two widowed daughter-in-laws, she told them, Yiten Hashem lachem umetzna menuha. Hashem should find you new husbands. And you should find minuha, tranquility. Well, the, well, the translates the word minuha, shadach. Shiduch, to get married. And in the Midrash over there, Beirut, it says, Yiten minuha, isha bet isha. Every woman in our husband's house. Mikan, from here we learn, a woman only has contentment in her husband's home. Yeah, you could fight a little bit. You could be angry. 
But true contentment, true happiness, is only a woman in her husband's home. A woman's true happiness is building a bayit ne'eman b'Yisrael. Rabotai, ladies, I told them in Sharetzion a few weeks ago, have a beautiful building on Avenue J. Big, white, snow-white, beautiful building. In that building, every week, there's a get from this community. Every week, without exaggeration, I know I see it. And sometimes two a week. And nobody is spared. It could be people married for 30 years, and I'm not kidding you. And it could be people married for six months. With parents encouraging the divorce. How do we expect people to get married? How do we expect them to stay married? Yalla, you'll find a better one. Did our grandparents ever get divorced? They fought for 50 years, they didn't get divorced. They took their children down the aisle, they took their grandchildren down the aisle. I asked the man who lived in Halab most of his life, was there ever a get in Halab? Or how many were there? He told me, never. Not one. One time there was a man who wanted to get divorced. For over 20 years he chased the rabbis. And every week they told him, come back next week. Mazer. Is this our way? Divorce, get. Rav Moshe Feinstein, Zechet, Tzadik, Bekadosh, Nebracha. He used to fast the day he had to give a get to somebody. Made a ta'anit. It wasn't every day. Why? Well, a few times a year there was a get in America back in the 50s, the 60s. He would make a fast day. Says the Mizbeach cries when there's a divorce. We have to cry. It's something which is unaccepted. We can't have it. And you know, people are getting too picky out there. I being, I'm in the business. I'm in the, you know, in the shatchan business. I dabble in it a little bit. People, it's not like what it used to be. They're getting very picky. And it's getting very difficult. People want things, things. And the better things. They're looking what's unimportant instead of looking what's important. Not everybody, but a lot of people. The world is very desirable out there. There are a lot of things that people want. And if they can't have it, they don't want to get married. I'm going to conclude with the following story. And then you'll see how everybody can get married. There was. True story. Many years ago, there was a 50th wedding anniversary in Yerushalayim. Of a couple. Who had many children, grandchildren, health and wealth. An elderly couple. And at that 50th wedding anniversary... One of the grandchildren got up and said, Grandpa, how'd you and Grandma do it? How are you, Zuchet, all this? And how do you do it? He says, you know, forget about that, but let me tell you a story. He says, Rav Yosef Chaim Zunnenfeld was the Rav Rashi, the chief rabbi in Jerusalem. It was in his time where a wedding was taking place. The girl was a little bit older. She took her time to find the Hatan. Now she found the Hatan, and she's getting married, and everybody's very happy. And it was at the wedding by the Kabbalat Panim. The men, the women were in one room before the ceremony. The men were in another room. And they take out the ketubah to fill it out. And they turn to the Hatan to start asking him questions. And the Hatan says, I can't do it. What? I can't do it. I can't go through with it. Don't fill out the ketubah. So what are you talking about? His father is there. His father-in-law is there. He says, I can't do it. 
I have cold feet. I'm not going to get married. They started talking to him and talking to him and talking to him. He ran away. He ran out the door. He ran away. All his friends were standing there frozen. The father of the girl turned to the father of the boy and said, You better get him because this is going to kill my daughter. Till she found the hatan and now this disgrace, embarrassment. And the women are in the room inside. The women are in the room inside and they don't know anything. They don't know what's going on. The bride doesn't know anything. Who walks into the wedding? The chief rabbi, Rabbi Zunnenfeld. They run over to him. They tell him what's going on. And they said, Rabbi, help us. We don't know what to do. He's gone. The rabbi looks around and he sees the boy's friends bustling outside. They're talking. He goes outside to them. They all see Rabbi Zunnenfeld. They all stand up. And he says, boys, who here would like a great share in Olam Abba? Not only Olam Abba, Olam Azir. Everything. Wealth, health, happiness, money, everything. Who would like that? They all said, me, me, me. It's okay. One of you marry her now, and I promise you, you'll have it. Get married now? Don't even know the girl. He goes to the first boy. He says, Rabbi, my parents will kill me. Forget it. Goes to the next boy. I didn't buy a tie for my wedding. I, I can't. One after another after another. One fellow said, Rabbi, you really guarantee me that? I said, I guarantee you. He said, I'll do it. He sent the other boys to the boys' houses, go get his parents. They came back with the parents. Rabbi Zonenfeld tells him, listen, this is what happened. The boy ran away to Hatan. We need another Hatan. Your son volunteered. What? Yeah, yeah, we're going to make a wedding now. What are you talking about? Rabbi Zonenfeld talked to them. And in those days, they used to listen to the rabbi. Okay. The parents agreed. Now they have to tell the kalah. They go outside to get the kalah. They tell, listen, there's a little technical problem here. Your hatan, he left. But don't worry, we have another one. What are you talking about? Where's my hatan? He left. Forget about him. New hatan. Could you imagine the pictures of those weddings before the man, after the Kittuban? Okay. She says, I can't. How can I do this? I don't even know the boy. Okay, you'll sit with him now for a few minutes. They sat the boy down with her in the room. True story. They sat and they talked. Okay, we'll do it. They had a wedding. End of story. Now, 50 years later, there's an anniversary party. The grandfather gets up and he says, I was that Hatan and your grandmother was that Kala. And that's why we have health and wealth and happiness and Nahat, the children. Rabotai, you learn to live together. You grow together. The world is crazy out there. We don't have to follow their ways. Divorce rate in New York City is almost 70%. A girl went out with a boy on a date. And the mother came home and says, how was it? She says, I don't know. I'm deciding if this is the man I want my children to spend every other weekend with for the rest of their lives. It's sad. But that's what's going on out there. But anyway, ladies, for me to conclude, we need Mashiach. There's too much sarot out there. Yes, we have to empty the goof. The way to empty the chamber of all those neshamot is to make shidduchim, to help people get married. Don't say, oh me, I can't do it. Pick up the phone and try. You'll see. What do you think? Uh, uh, people become professional shatchanim, they go to school for it. They get a degree. 
They're just people that want to help. And Bezat Hashem. Everybody should take an interest either in raising money. There are plenty of bridal funds. Raising money for poor brides. Making shiduchim. Encouraging people and your children not to be too picky. Parents shouldn't be too picky. Let our children get married. Let them each be zocher to build a bayit ne'man Israel. The best years of a life have to be spent building a family, not looking for a husband or a wife. And Bezrat Hashem, through these deeds, we should be zocher to Mashiach Tzitkenu b'minabi aminu. Amen. Thank you, Rabbi Ozeri. Thank you, Rabbi Ozeri. Chazak Baruch. And Bezrat Hashem, Dibre Chizuk, L'Refua Shlema Shel Kol Yalde Israel Vekol Chole Am Israel. Bezrat Hashem. We are right now in Achiezer Shul. Right now we are in Achiezer Shul, and Rabbi David Goldberg is supposed to come any minute. So Bezrat Hashem. And we're going to say Tehillim here, so... Visit our new home, www.jrootradio.com
בשורייך ירושלים, 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 כעיר שחוברו לא יחדו, ירושלים, 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 כעיר שחוברו לא יחדו. ירושלים, ירושלים, כעיר שחוברו לא יחדו. ירושלים, 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 כעיר שחוברו לא יחדו. Listeners, uh, ladies, and ladies, uh, please. Uh, Rabbi David Goldwasser is here, and we are continuing the Atzeret Lerfuat Yaldei Am Israel. Thank you. Good day, everyone. We are gathered here to be Mizakeh Rabim, that everyone in Klal Yisrael that needs a Refuah, that needs a Yeshua, Parnasa. Zivug, that everyone should have it bekarov. 
in the schut that everybody comes together, there isn't anything greater in Klal Yisrael than a show of achdut, particularly during these days. I would like to begin with a very interesting piece in the Talmud in Sota. Tanur Rabbanan, our rabbis learned. Darash Rebbe Yosea Glili. Rebbe Yosea Glili said, at the greatest time in Klal Yisrael, when the Jewish people, what were they doing? They were ascending from the sea. At that moment of Kriyat Yamsuf, at that time when the Red Sea parted in all of Klal Yisrael, were found in a tremendous time of tsara. They didn't know what the future is going to bring. It took great emunah. If you remember, Moshe Rabbeinu was praying. And Hashem said, Moshe, why are you praying? It's not the time for tefillah. Isn't the time for tefillah always when there's a tzara? Hashem said, no. Now is the time to show emunah. You got to jump in. You jump into the water, you show emunah, you show you have bitachon, then everything is going to change. And indeed, when everybody jumped in, there was a great change. Now the truth is, we have to understand that in situations and in times like this, there is required a tremendous amount of bitachon and emunah. What we are challenged with in our generation right today is bitachon. Chazon Ish writes in his Ksavim a very interesting thing. The generation that we're living in right now, the major challenge that we have is the challenge of emunah in bitachon. Remember Chavakuk, it says, he went and he narrowed it down just to one thing. One thing that we have to improve on. One thing that we have to work on. One thing that we have to try to concentrate how to improve our emunah and our bitachon. And so it is that we learn at the time when B'nai Yisrael were there, so everybody was ascending. What happened? They all picked up their eyes and they wanted to say Shira. Shira, the great song to Hashem. Oh, Kayotse Omru Shira. How? Ketzad, how did they say the Shira? The little child, the little infant that was resting on his mother's knees. What did, what happened? As soon as they saw the Shechina, the child raised up his neck. And the little baby separated. And he said, this is my Hashem, and I will glorify Him. Shinemar, like it says in the Pasuk, From the mouth of the little infants, from the little children, you have established might. I want to ask everybody here, if you're going to say, what will save Klau Yisrael? What does Hashem care about? What is first and foremost in the, in the recognition of Hashem? 
So one person will say, it's a tzaddik, it's a tzaddiket, it's this adult, it's that person, it's somebody in the kolel, it's somebody who's teaching, one of the chanchot. Do you know what we learn? We learn from this that it's the children. It's all the children. The children are the ones that everybody else said shira. But the Talmud specifically says, who was it that sang? Who was it that the sweet song reaches the heirs of HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Who was it? It was only the children. We are here today to give a great zuchut to all of the children who may be in need of a refuah. Rafael Elisha, Meir ben Dvora, and Chaim Shmuel ben Sarah. They should have such a quick refuah shalema in the schut of everyone's tefillot, in the tilim and the limud Torah that is going on today, they should become well and have great lives, long lives, lives that are happy and lives that their parents will be so besimcha going from one happy occasion to the next, together with all of those in Klal Yisrael that needs the Yeshua. But it is all dependent upon Klal Yisrael. Remember the Pasuk in Tehilim, Hayom in Bekolot Tishma'u. Hashem says today, you want Mashiach to come? Mashiach can come today. Not a problem right now. You walk out in the front of Achiezer, and I'm sure J. Root is going to publicize it to the world. Mashiach Tzidkenu will come walking down, and everybody will know. All the people will know. That that we say in Oleinu. L'takein olam b'malchut shakai. That everybody will realize it. It is dependent upon us. So listen for one moment. For one moment. When the Jewish people were standing on the sea, so the Shvatim, the tribes, were all arguing with each other. One said, I want to jump in first. No, I want to be the one to jump in first. And they started fighting back and forth. Kofatz, Shifto Binyamin. All of a sudden, the tribe of Binyamin jumped in. Tchila. Oh, Baoto Sha'ah. In that moment, Hayam Moshe Marich Bitfila. Moshe Rabbeinu was saying a long prayer. Omar Lo Akadosh Baruch Hashem said, Yididi, hey, what's going on? My greatest beloved are drowning now in the sea. And you're choosing now to pray. What should I do? Aren't I supposed to pray? We have a situation like today. What does a person do? They put their heart in their hands. They look to Shemayim. They beg Hashem. Please. Hashem, answer me because of the little children. Maybe the little children that are sitting in the hospital right now. Maybe the little children that their parents are there with so worried and upset. They should only be calm. Do it in theirs. Do it in theirs. Speak to B'nai Yisrael and let them start action. Haremet matcha, lift up your staff, unete et and stretch out your hand. Mahasha, ask a question. 
What does it mean? Shevet Binyamin, they believed in the Devar Hashem. The rest of the Shvatim, they were a little bit afraid to go in the water. Emunan Bitachon doesn't mean just a person sitting there. Oh, you could say Tehilim even. It means showing Emunah, showing Bitachon, showing that we have unquenchable thirst for Hashem. We have unyielding belief in Hashem no matter what. So what did they need? They needed Netiyat Hayad. They needed Moshe Rabbeinu to stretch out his hand. Haramat Amateh, the lifting up of the staff. Bikiyat Hayam. Finally, the river split and they proceeded. What does a person need to show their bitachon? What does a person need to show their emunan Hashem? What has to happen to transform the person's life? That they do not worry, that they do not become upset, that they know we are all in the Yad of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that is Simlev, that cares about each and every one of us, greater than any father or mother could care about their own child. Greater than that is the care, is the Rachmanut of Hashem. A man came, if you remember Malachim, so he came, if you remember Yanavi, and he brought food, right? And what happened? Elisha Navi said, take the food and give it out to the people. Gehazay said, this little bit of food, there are over a hundred people here. What's a hundred people going to eat this little bit of food? Elisha said, give it to the people and let them eat because Hashem said, eat and leave over. Gehazay, he has to listen to the Navi. He's got to listen to Elisha. So he gave it over. Elisha knew there are a hundred people. He knew there was a little bit of food. Why didn't he say in the beginning, let them have the food and there's going to be left over? The answer is, initially, Elisha Navi wanted that the bracha would be as a result of a person's bitachon in emunah in Hashem. Now that Gehazay raised doubts, maybe, ulai, I have to prepare, but what if it won't happen? What if Mashiach won't come? What if the Panasa? What if the Shidduch? Ruined everything. Then in order for the bracha to be chal, for the bracha to come, Elisha had to be gozer. He had to decree the Devar Hashem that the Shefa should come to the world. This is an unbelievable idea. A person could never cast a doubt. When we come together and we're involved in tefillah for Klal Yisrael, we think positive. We know that Hashem says, Kol amarich, whoever is going to prolong their tefillah, ain't tefillato chozeret reikam. Their tefillah will never be turned away empty-handed. Im lo machar, machar If it's not going to be tomorrow, it will be the next day. But you can rest assured that there is never a tefillah that's going to be uttered that is going to be a tefillah in vain. Levatala. A person has to strive with all that we have to show emunah, to show bitachon. Don't forget, Rabbi Chaim Valoshner said a person has to constantly keep in mind, Ein od milvado. Ein od milvado. There is none other than Hashem. An unbelievable incident happened in the yeshiva of Navardok. Navardok, the great Saba, the altar of Navardok. Used to go every so often to a little private place in the forest. There while he was in the forest, he would pray by himself, he'd bodedut, 
he would learn by himself. He would commune with Borei Olam. Just to be together with Hashem. No cell phone, no interruptions, no letters, no email, no anything. No messaging, nothing. Just alone with Hashem. That means completely disconnected. The person that goes with tefillah and they carry together with them the cell phone and every once in a while if they get a beep they, th they think it's the President of the United States of America or maybe, I don't know, the Prime Minister of England or maybe whoever is in charge in Eretz Yisrael. Oh, I have to check if I have a call from them emergency. That is not tefillah. That is somebody who is talking to two people at one time. If someone is talking to me and talking to someone else, I'll be very honest with you, I'm not interested. If an individual is interested in listening and in talking, then I talk. If someone's over here and over there, I'm not interested. Borei Olam deserves our full attention. So, the great Sabah in the Vardak used to go into the forest and there he would pray and there he would learn. One time he went in and when he went to the forest, he found a little hut. A hut that was abandoned. Someone used to be in the little hut, they abandoned it. And it was left. It was overgrown with trees and everything. He went inside. He was able to pray inside. He was mitpalel. He learned inside. It was wonderful. If it rained, or the sun beat down, or it was too cold, he would go in this little hut, and he would be able to be there, and it was unbelievable. He communicated with Hashem. One time, he went for the entire night. The entire night he wanted to go to be alone in the hut. He brought with him a candle. Pitom! The beginning of the night. The candle malfunctioned. No good. The candle did not burn. Saba Midavardak felt so terrible. He came for a night of great Kiddushah. The night was made to learn. And he came for a night in which he wanted to have Ramuta Nefesh, to grow, to, gr to become great. Even the greatest Sadiqim, they tried to become greater as the years went on. And what happened? Thank you, Avnissim. What happened? The light went out. He didn't give up. All of a sudden, we don't know from where, we don't know from where, where it came. The door opened, middle of the night in the forest. Saba was looking down. Somebody, we don't know who, came in with a candle lit. Gave it to the Saba. He took the candle. Without thinking, he put it on the table. He learned the rest of the night. The candle was still left in the daytime. It didn't yet burn out. He took it back with him to the yeshiva in Nevada. They fixed a little place next to the Aron, next to the Hechal. And they put that candle on a special ledge so that everybody could see it. And they called it the Ner Habitachon, the candle of trust and faith in Hashem. And there it stayed. And everybody would always talk. All the students of the yeshiva and all the people in the Balabatim and everybody would always say, look at that, look what happened, remember it. Unbelievable how that gives us bitachon and emunah, faith and trust in Hashem. 
However, it happened to be that there was a fire. And the fire swept through the town of Navarduk. And the boys of the yeshiva were sent in to take out the Svarim, to take out the Sifrei Torah, that they should remove it. And they did. And they did. In the fire, in the entire town, swept. It came up to the doors of the yeshiva, but didn't enter in to the yeshiva itself. After the fire, one thing happened. The boys had taken everything that was so important out of the yeshiva, except for one thing. The Ner HaBitachon. That candle they forgot about. The heat of the fire melted the candle. It was no longer. Everybody felt bad. Everyone was upset. Everyone except for the Saba, the Alter. He wasn't upset. And when they asked him about it, he said, we do not need to have the candle anymore on the wall representing Bitachon. Because every Jew... Every one of us is obligated to keep the Ner HaBitachon in our heart and carry it with us every day of our life, every second and every moment. We are not dependent on any skula. We are not dependent on any lucky charm. We are dependent on one thing and one thing alone, our Emunah in Hashem. Now the truth is, we don't realize our yecholet. We think, how much could I do in this world? How great could I be? Where could I get to? I'm just a human being. Basav Adam. I know what I do. What does it say? Mesilat Yisharim. Kol Adam Yodem Arat Nafsho. I know where I've been nirshol. I know where I'm not so good. I know where I may have a few shortcomings. So I take a look at myself and I say, Mani, what am I? What could I really do in this world? You want to hear from the great Rav Shach? Everybody, everybody's got to remember it. The great Rav Shach says differently. He says, no, no. The Malachim and the people, angels and people, answer differently in Kiddushah. What do people say? Baruch Kivod Hashem Mimkomo. Blessed is Hashem from His place. What do the Malachim say? Ayei Mekom Kivodo. Malachim say, I don't know, where's Hashem's honor? Says Rav Shach, the Malachim ask because they don't have Torah and they don't know the exact place. But those who learn, those in Am Yisrael that identify with Torah and mitzvot, they know. Baruch Kivod Hashem, Mimkomo. We have a greater Yediyah a greater knowledge than the Malachim themselves. It all depends how we want to analyze it, how we want to understand it. There are many times when a person says, what could I accomplish? How far could I grow? What could I become? How much ruchniyut, how much spirituality could I have in my life? The truth is, we don't know. We don't realize it. We could go much higher than we could ever imagine. But Yetzirah comes to us and says, no, you can't go that high. No, you shouldn't. But you should know 
that Yetzirah also came to Avraham Avinu. You should know that Yetzirah came to Avraham Avinu while he was on his way to Akedat Yitzchak. When he was on his way to the greatest act of Mesirat Nefesh, of self-sacrifice in the world. When he was on his way to sacrifice his Ben Yachid. What did the Yetzirah say? He started to tell the Avraham Avinu, they're going to call you a killer. They told Avraham Avinu, how could you cross the sea? How could you do this? How could you do that? And Avraham Avinu didn't listen. And he continued on. And the same thing you and I in life, a person has to know. Yetzirah tells us, are we great? No, you're not at all. Do you have the power to be Omed bin Isayon? No, you won't be a, you will not be successful. Don't even try it. We should understand that we have got greater Kiddushah in certain ways than the Malachim themselves. We don't understand it. It is in our power to do whatever we want. The power of a human being is unbelievable potential. It's explosive potential. It is up to us to explore it. Do we stand on the sideline or do we jump in? Interesting. It says in Breshit that the caravan was coming along as they were getting away, ready to take Yosef away, to carry him away. And what happened? So we learned that they took him away. But they were carrying, very interesting, the Chosvet They were carrying spices, sweet-smelling besamim, spices that were so good. What do we learn? So Rashi tells us, of course, usually the Arab merchants would carry spices that were very foul-smelling, malodorous, couldn't even smell it. But in honor of Yosef at Sadiq, it was different. The spices were beautiful perfume that were able to reach the nose of Yosef so that he should have a comfortable trip. We have to understand the, uh, what's going on here. Someone's being taken in to slavery. Someone who is on the greatest level, who the Chumash says it is Yosef at Sadiq, Chazal tell us he was on that level. But yet, what happens? As he's being taken on such a terrible trip, so they give to him a little bit of spices. So they give to him, along on the road, there's a sweet smell. What does that help? Why would that make a difference whether there was some perfume there or not? It's interesting, it was a little child that needed an operation. The child came to the hospital with his family and some friends. When he came to the hospital doors, they gave to him sweets and they gave to him little toys. He went to his room. Only his parents could go together with him. His father and mother, they sat on the edge of the chairs. Picture for a moment. Waiting till the hospital staff would come to take their child for surgery. The doctors came into the room. They said it's the time. Their faces were serious. They hugged and kissed their child, the parents. They prepared their child. They escorted him to the doors of the operating room. And there, at the doors of the operating room, they had to wish him well. Alone in the operating room, 
the little boy, he's on the operating table. He begins to look around. He sees everybody dressed in green. He sees their faces covered with a surgical mask. Next to him is another table. On that were all the instruments that were going to be used for the operation. There were machines and a strong light was beating down overhead. He began to cry. How fearful. How overwhelming for anybody. How about the little child? He starts to cry and cry. And he's looking and looking. When suddenly he sees a little window in the corner of the room. In that little window, he begins to concentrate. And there he sees his mother, his sweet, precious mother, looking in on him. As soon as he sees his mama, he calms down. He stops crying. He stops sobbing. Ragua. What happened? The scene is the same. It's just as it was before. The green, the mask, the table with the instruments, the light, the machines. But something was different because his mother was watching. Rabbi Yosef Pragomansky explains when a person sees that tsarot in the world and it gets scary and we come together at a time of tsara, eight tsara liyakov, and we realize all the things that we have to be concerned about, to be mitpalel, we realize what's going on in the world, it's scary. But all of a sudden, we smell those little sweet spices. All of a sudden, we remember Mashkiach min achalonot, Meitzit min harakim, Meitzit min harakim, that Hashem Mitbarach is looking at us, that there is a little window, that Hashem is together with us, that Hashem sees what we're going through. Imo anochi bitzara. Hashem says, I am with you no matter what. And when a person understands that, then it's a whole different idea. Then we are together. Then we're not afraid. Then we're not alone. We realize that it's Yad Hashem. Gam I will not be afraid because Hashem is with me. But we need to know how to bring those zuchuyot in our own life. We need to know that in order to show Hashem that we are maminim b'nei maminim, that we pray and we ask Hashem in any way that we could help out in Klal Yisrael because that is our job. We are here to help other people. We are here to band together. If there is one family that is experiencing pain or two families that have been mentioned, we realize that that has to be like our own family. It's not, oh, well, they have that. Baruch Hashem, everybody's well. No, that every single one of us are brothers and sisters. Every one of us share in the common, let us say, destination of everybody in Klau Yisrael. It was an interesting incident that happened. We are Arevim. And you know, it's an interesting thing. Because who is the true guarantors? Hashem said, there's one, pe there's one entity that Klau Yisrael has that are the guarantors for Klau Yisrael. Who are they? The children. Hashem said, I need somebody that I can trust. 
Who is it that I can trust in Klal Yisrael that will guarantee that when the Torah is given over, that it's going to be kept? Hashem only accepted the pledge of the children. Every little child is a malach. I don't care if the child behaves. I don't care if the child doesn't behave. I don't care if the child is the best in the class. I don't care if the child is, excuse me, I will just use the common worst in the class. It doesn't matter. Malachim. Where they can grow to be, where they can one day leave Klal Yisrael, we don't know. Every little child has to be treated with such dignity and respect. Look what the Gedolim used to do with the little children. Look how they would treat them. Oh, it's a little kid. Uh, okay, uh, get away from me. Uh, go over there. Uh, don't do this. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, sit down. Sit down in your seat. Yeah, put your finger in the place. Not Gedolim Yisrael. They treat the children with such unbelievable respect. So it's an interesting thing. Uh, there was a mother who had a little sick child, Lo'olenu. And she didn't know what to do. So she heard there was a big tzaddik and she decided she's going to go and talk to him and ask him to do something for him. So he went to the great, she went to the great Rebbe of Zelachal. And there she began to supplicate and begged the great tzaddik begged him, begged him that he should help. He said to her, I'm sorry, I don't see that I could do really anything to help. She began to cry and she began to sob. Yes, you can. You can help me. The tefillot of a tzaddik are always answered. The prayers of a great person are always answered. The great tzaddik looked. I don't think I could do it. But then he said to her, one thing I could tell you. One thing I have in Eitzah. If you will go to the Kotel Amaravi, if you will go to the wall for 40 days and you will pray, then you will be answered. She said, Rabbi, I'm a young woman. I have many children in the house. How could I ever go for 40 days? How am I going to go? It's an impossibility, Rebbe. What am I going to do? The Rebbe said, So what do you want me to do? She said, Go instead of me. You go for me, Rebbe. Rabbi thought for a minute. He said, Okay. I'll go for you. Forty days he went. Every single day for that mother who he didn't know for that little boy whom he never met. Despite anything else that he had to do in his life, he made sure that he was there. The greatness of Klau Yisrael, the greatness of one person in the ability that we have to change and make a difference. The little boy had a refuah shleima. Each of us, no matter where we're at, we can make a difference. A person wants to grow. A person wants to try. You want to pray. Take those names. Put them up. Don't ever take them down. Until those children will have a refuah shleima and be home. Say it every day. Every single day. Remember them. When you do a mitzvah, 
Give them the schut once in a while. It depends. What does a person want to do? How do they take it? Very interesting incident we read about in the Talmud, Tanit. Maseb Rabbi Eliezer. It happened to be an incident with Rabbi Eliezer. Shegozar shalosh esrei taniyot al He was goes there 13, 13 fast on the tzibor. V'lo gishamim. The rain did not come down. And this was serious, serious plague. V'achrona hitchilu atzibor latzet. All of a sudden, at the end, so they all started to leave. That was it. What are they going to do? So he called out to all of them as they were going, as they had already given up. And he said to them, let me ask you a question. Did you prepare graves for yourself? You all have a nice burial plot. They all began to cry. They groaned from the innermost essence of their heart. And they began to cry tears to Borei Olam. Rain came down. What was the difference? What happened here? The interesting thing is, 13 fasts they went through. They prayed. 13 times they fasted. 13 times they went to wherever. 13 times they did what is incumbent on them. They fulfilled their chiyuv. But after the 13th time, when the great Rebbe said, prepare your graves, it was on a different level altogether. An individual has to take everything that happens with great emunah and great pitachon. We can make a difference, but it all depends how much an individual is willing to take on their own self what they're willing to do. And in our generation, I just would like to say there are many things that we could do. Rav Steinman Shlita, one of the greatest tzaddikim today, said there are two things that a person can do. Torah, bimechazek Torah, do chesed, as much as possible to help each other. And the third he mentioned was saniyut, that we should be modest. In today's generation, it's all a challenge. In the streets, is not normal. Not talking about the blasted internet and all that it has on it is not normal. For any age, for anybody. Sakana. It is a danger. It's interesting. We learn the Shomer Amunim. Baal Shomer Amunim says the following. She'im adam holech bercho. If a person is walking in the street. Umizdamen lo davar enat sanua. And all of a sudden, there is something that comes in front. And it doesn't have to be on the street. It doesn't have to be Ocean Parkway, King's Highway. It doesn't have to be in Muncie or Borough Park, or London, England, or Australia, or Hong Kong. It doesn't have to be anywhere in particular, or Toronto or Montreal. It doesn't have to be. It can be on the internet, a pop-up. And they see it. And they are able to strengthen themselves up. And the person says, No, I will not look at it. I will not see it. They should know that it is the time, in the proper timing. 
שכל בקשה שיבקש אז מאת בורא העולם תתקבל. In that moment, when they will look away, this is not for me. I don't care who looks, I don't care who's moraheter, I don't care who says it's okay, I don't care how many tzaddikim, I don't care. I don't care how many nashim tzitkaniyot, I ain't looking. The person that says that, whatever they ask, me'et borei olam from Hashem, titkabel. Titkabel. It's accepted. So, there was a kolel man, a young man in Ofakim. He rarely went into the streets. Streets anywhere. A person has to be careful. He didn't want to be exposed to those things which one should not see, any of us. Once, unfortunately, his child was very sick. His child was in a hospital, a small hospital in Beersheba. And he had to go to Tel Aviv in order to get a certain medicine that is rare that the doctors had sent him to Tel Aviv to get. What happened was, he was walking down the street and he wasn't used to it. He came upon a scene that was ma'od ma'od lotzanua. Very indecent, obscene. In that moment, he recalled the words of Shomer Amunim. He recalled those words, She'im adam olech berachol. If a person is walking on the street, Umizdamein lo dover enot tzanua. And they bump into something that should not be seen. And a person is able to be strong. And the person is able to override their natural tendency. And they do not look. You should know at that minute. Whatever they will ask, it will be accepted. At this moment, it was unreal. It was unreal. What did he do? He began to cry. He cried and cried. Aside from the fact that he had a child that was standing, I don't want to say how close to the other world, he felt a great closeness with Hashem because he withstood Anisayon. Only a person that can withstand the challenge can feel that close to Hashem. No matter what a person is tempted with, when they can withstand the challenge and be strong for Hashem, that is the closest that a person can ever be. In those few minutes, he cried for that as well. He continued, and he was mitpalel, shishmor, that his son should be guarded from every pegara, umikom marim bishin abol olam, should be guarded from everything. Right before he reached the pharmacy, the special pharmacy that had this rare medicine, his cell phone rang. His wife, who was sitting with the child at the other end of the line, got on and was very emotional. It took her a few minutes before she could open her mouth and speak. She said, just minutes earlier, there was a radical change in their child's health. The doctors were shocked. They all rushed in. They could not believe what was happening. They asked her if her husband had gotten the medicine yet. 
and she said he's almost there they said perhaps there will be no need for the medicine at all the tears of sadness that they cried turned into tears of happiness the pasuk in Tilim Hashem you turned my lamenting into dancing you took off my sackcloth and you put on me great gladness each and every one of us should know that we have a big power the power is by us doing something that all of us gather together on such a beautiful day and the broadcasts that go out on all the various stations it's un unreal unreal learn Torah and Cheirut and all the different organizations that are sponsored today do you realize how many people in Klal Yisrael this will reach and all the people will band together and make a Kabbalah maybe a little one just a little resolution to be better in one area it's unreal just in closing I wish we had a few hours I wish so much but I'm afraid Reb Nisim is going to come in and yank me out of here. He should have harichat yamim v'shanim tovot and big hatzlacha and all that he does. There was a father, great Rav Yechesko Panet said there was a father that went with a little child and he went into the forest. He wanted to take rest over there. He sat underneath a tree and the little child said, I want to go and pick some berries. So the father said to him, go ahead, but I want you to call my name. Every few minutes call my name because I want to make sure that you didn't go too far. And when you'll hear me answer you, you'll know you're okay. So the child went a little bit, called out the parent, Abba, father, yes, yes, hi, hi. Another few minutes. Abba, Abba, yes, yes, hi, hi. A little while later, Abba, 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 Abba. He didn't get a return. Nobody answered him. Hashem said, I will be with you. Call out to me. So when Klai Yisrael is together and we're good and we're what we're supposed to be and we are good, we call out to Hashem. And Hashem answers us right away. We get everything that we need, no matter what it is. And when we go a little bit further, and we went a little bit more away, away, then all of a sudden we call, and not every time is there an answer. Hashem said, you've got to come back close. You've got to do Teshuvah. You have to cling to Hashem. You have to be mekabel. You've got to be better. In the skut, that we come closer, we should hear the answer. We should hear every answer that we need for every bracha and every yeshua and every refua. And we should hear already, Amen. Thank you, Rabbi Golbasar. And uh, if you want to listen to more, a good advice, every Tuesday, Rabbi Golbasar and Jerut Radio, 9 o'clock. And we have uh, Rabbi Yossi Mizrahi is already 
coming here from Monsi, and uh, we would love to get this Dvar Torah. Rabbi Mizrahi. Good afternoon. This lecture, as I understand, is the last one for today's gathering here. Acharon Chaviv. And it won't be that long. We just conclude, more or less, what we gather here for and what the other important Rabbanim spoke about today here. In a gathering like this, we, the focus has to be about Yisurim, meaning suffering. The world has 7.4 billion people, and if you search the life of everyone, you will find not even one that his life is clear and free from Yisurim, from suffering. However, as we all understand, there are different kinds of suffering. They are suffering that a person live with on a daily basis and it doesn't mentally destroy him. And they are suffering, Hashem Irachem, that takes away all the joy and the happiness from the life of the human being and affect his life tremendously. And most of the things he would like to do on a daily basis, he gives up because his mental state, mentally, it's basically so destroyed and devastated that he doesn't have the feeling or the interest to actually do what most ordinary people are doing. We have to analyze what's happening in our generation that the world has an epidemic. It's a horrible disease. It's affecting the life of hundreds of millions of people. As we review today the, the situation, we're focusing on the Jewish world, but it's a worldwide epidemic. Well, we have to speak about our own problem here today. We find today, and I'm telling you from experience as a speaker that speaks for about 20 years by now, that every month the situation has gotten worse and worse which means there are more cases, there are more sick people, more and more people finding out that they are obviously joining this horrible situation that we have today. And it doesn't only affect the patient, it affects his entire family. So it's affecting his brothers and sisters, the parents, the grandparents, neighbors, friends, other, other family members. Everyone is joining this group of suffering and unfortunately the situation becoming worse as we speak. It's very difficult in this generation to give a clear answer why HaKadosh Baruch Hu sent so many sicknesses to this generation. It's very difficult. The reason that it's difficult because we don't have prophets anymore. 2,000 years ago, when a person wanted to know why he has all this suffering that HaKadosh Baruch Hu sent him, he would come to a prophet, to the Navi, and would describe what, you know, what's going on, and the prophet would tell him what's the situation. Or even a big Chacham that had Ruach HaKodesh, like the Ari 500 years ago, was able to look at the person and tell him all the reasons for all his problems. Today, 
as, as big as the Chachamim are, they're not in the level of 2,000 years ago. And a Chacham cannot look at your face or at your, or at your situation and knows right away what's the reason for all the problems. Very difficult. When we review the list of causes, of reasons, why a person may get a sickness. There's a list of things according to the Torah, of course, not according to my opinion or to anybody else's opinion, only according to the written Torah and the oral Torah. There is a list of things, as the Torah says, all the sicknesses that I sent to the Egyptians in Egypt, I would not sent to you, Ki ani Hashem rofecha, I am your doctor, I am the one who gives uh, health, or God forbid, take away the health, and I only do it based on your behaving. Therefore, there is a list of things that increase the probability that a person's health will go away. The question is, if we review the list, it's a very long list. I can mention some of the things. One reason is that a person has this, it could be a pure Nisayon, that Hashem is testing the person, how he's going to behave in time of tragedy, in times of suffering, in times of, you know, lots of difficulties, how a person would behave. And if the person passed the test, the sickness goes away after X amount of days. That's one thing. Sometimes it's a result of an individual sin that a person made in his life. He made a scene, and we, the Tanakh, the 24 books of Judaism, are full of examples that HaKadosh Baruch Hu sent certain sicknesses to certain nations or cities or individuals based on one something that they did. So that could be another reason. For instance, and I hope nobody will get upset, but we have to say the truth here, not to offend anyone, Chas Shalom because we all need to improve, and we all have to make tshuva, and we have to, have to correct on a daily basis everything that we do. So one reason could be problems with modesty, problems with Shabbat, problem with the way we conduct business, problem with Lashonara, problems with Emuna and confidence in Hashem, Chilul Hashem, Chas V'Shalom, that we may do, not even realizing how horrible and how far it travels and many other examples that we saw in the Tanakh in the last 2,000 years as it reflects in our world. And there's reasons, and one of the reasons, as I say, it's, it's this list and many other things which I did not include in the list. However, right away there is a flag that is pumping right here. There's a, there's a question that rises right away. You are talking about a scene that we may have done and as a result of that, this is the reaction that what happened to us or to that individual. How are you going to explain that there are children who did not even had a chance to sin, they're just born with a sickness? Or even if they came later on when they're two, four, five, seven years old, every normal human being understands that these kids are not capable of making sins, and even if they make sins, as the Torah clearly says, they are not subject to any responsibility, and definitely not a punishment, at least until they bar mitzvah, and sometimes even after their bar mitzvah, they are not subject to anything, because it's the way their parents raised them, and it's like considered to be tinokot shenishbu, 
when they are not subject to get any, any punishments because they are not as guilty as other person who knew the truth and still violated the rules. So in that case, in that case, the question that every person asks at least once in his lifetime in this world, Jews and non-Jews, is why with this innocent baby or kid receiving such suffering? I understand you come with your explanation from the Torah that a person may have done a horrible sin, right? Like I saw in Chazal, Yoshua ben Nun. He took the place of Moshe Rabenu. Everybody understands that Moshe is the greatest human being in history. And everybody understands that Moshe had two sons. And they were very good. And they were very worthy. Even though the Torah doesn't tell us a lot about them, like other individuals who are mentioned in the Torah, we know that they, are, they were very big. How do we know? Because Moshe Rabenu asked from HaKadosh Baruch Hu before he passed away that one of these two children... Elazar and Gershom will inherit his place. And Moshe Rabbeinu was a brilliant, genius person, and very righteous, and very humble, and very honest. If he thought that his children are not good enough to be the leader of the Jewish nation in front of Hashem, to connect between Hashem and the Jewish nation, Moshe would not have the guts to come to Hashem and say, make my son the leader, the king of the nation of Israel, knowing Chas Shalom is uh, of the derech kid or not worthy enough. So the fact that Moshe wanted them to take his place means they were great people. But Hashem said, no, they could be great. There's no question here. But there's somebody greater than them. Who? Yoshua ben Nun. Why? He's Meshamesh. He was very faithful to you and he's very down to earth. He cleans the shul when everyone leaves. He stayed to do the dirty jobs. This is the kind of leader I need. So somebody like this, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu put a stamp on him, that from all the people in the nation of Israel, is the number one after Moshe Rabbeinu. Chazal are saying that he got punished, that he did not have children. For one night, that he was mevatel, the nation of Israel, from learning Torah, that's Chaz Shalom, the reaction that to, happened to him. Even though Hashem said that he's completely tzaddik, righteous. What happened? One act, one mistake that a person can do, what's the result? In his, his entire life did not have children. So this is just an example how sometimes a person can do one thing, not two, one. And it already reflects us in, on his entire life. However... Before I'm going to answer the question that everybody is waiting for this answer about the children, I will tell you one more Gemara, and it will, he will help us later to understand. The Gemara says, Rabbi Yehuda Anasi, which was a legend in the Jewish history, he wrote the Mishnah, he lived 120 years, complete full life. And was, was, besides being so righteous and such a huge Talmud Chacham, he was also a billionaire. So basically, he had everything a person wants in this world. He had, he had everything he needed. He had plenty of money. He was a huge baltzdaka. And the Gemara says, at one time, a, a calf, you know, a baby calf came to him, was trying to hide by him that he would not be slaughtered. They were leading him to slaughter him, shechita. And he came to try to hide by Rabbi Udanasi, and he pushed him. He pushed his head, and he said, Lech ki lechach nivreta. Go, because Hashem created you for one purpose. What is the purpose that Hashem created the cows? That they will be eaten. 
Eventually, somebody will slaughter them and eat their meat, and that's going to be a mitzvah, Shabbat, Yom Tov. So this is it. So, did he lie? No. Did he say the truth? A hundred percent. But the way he did it, with no mercy on a creature that Hashem created, and the Torah says, The mercy of Hashem is on everything that he created, from even a mosquito to a Jew, to the Goim, everyone that Hashem created, he has some kind of mercy on this creature. Because you should have had mercy on him, as someone such a big rabbi, big chacham, right away Hashem sent him suffering. But serious suffering. He had either a stone in his kidney or problem with his gallbladder. It's not exactly clear what was his sickness, but it's one thing, it's clear 100% that the pain was so horrible that he, when he had an attack, he used to scream from the pain and he said to his servant, when you begin to hear me screaming, please put food, straw, in front of the horses because when the horses see food, they begin to scream, they begin to make noise because he did not want the Jews outside of his, his house to cry when they hear the chief rabbi of Israel is crying from pain and screaming. So obviously the pain was something very severe. So this is how much he suffered. However, this, this Rebbe, Rabbi Yudah Nasi, which according to Chazal, a part of the soul of Yaakov Avinu went into his body, Gilgul Shel Yaakov Avinu. And like I said, lived the perfect life. And thanks to him, we have Torah in the nation of Israel, because he realized if you won't write the Torah Shebe'al Peh, the Mishnah, in a year or two, everything will be gone. Or maximum one generation, we won't have Torah left. And for those who know Torah, knows that 99% of Judaism come from Torah Shebe'al Peh. Without Torah Shebe'al Peh, you don't have any Judaism. You cannot practice one mitzvah from the written Torah without the instruction in the oral law, in what we call today Gemara and Shulchan Aruch. So what happened with Rebbe? He started to have this suffering for how long? 13 years. 13 years he was learning Torah. 13 years he was teaching Torah. 13 years he did everyday confession, vidui, at least morning and evening, and then when he went to sleep three times a day, three times a day he made vidui. He obviously wasn't a person who make any sins because his level of irat shamayim was in a level that we cannot even imagine. And it was a huge Baal Tzedakah, giving fortune to all the poor people who needed food from him constantly. His house was like a motel. Everyone went in and out and got food in his home. His table was full of greatness for everyone who needed help. He was the, the address to come. So after 13 years, every year he had a lul, 40 days from Rosh Chodesh Elul until Yom Kippur of Tshuva, and slichot, and uh, you know, aseret yenet tshuva, nothing helped. The pain and the suffering stayed by him 100% for 13 years every day, every day. Such a big holy person. No discount. And what happened? One day he saw the maid sweeping the floor, and there was some rats there, and she made the rats fly with a broom. And he, and he looked at her and he said to her, Hey, why don't you have mercy on the rats, on these mice over there? Don't you know that Hashem has mercy on them? You should treat them a little bit more, you know, with mercy. That day, 
the suffering and the sickness that he had disappeared like it never came completely without doctors without surgeries without all the things that we trying to do today one day everything just gone by a miracle effort so the question is all the things that he went through how long how long a punishment that a person received for something that he have done wrong how long would it last forever it has to be a limit like in everything else in life you pay you finish paying and you're free now and you're free and that's it but we would we see here that if there if he did not see the maid cleaning the floor and abusing the rats there if he would have not seen it perhaps he would have this suffering until the day he passed away it would not go away what made it go away to correct what you did wrong specifically not everything around it specifically what you have done wrong in his level it was a serious thing and obviously the rule is the same rule it applies to each one of us many times we think oh i'm giving a lot of tzedakah that should take away my problems maybe yes most likely not why because hashem is interested that you make a correction for your main purpose in life if your correction in life is to be more modest than what you are this is the only way to correct a hundred percent your neshama you can do a lot of other things you can do chesed from morning to night you can give tzedakah you can retail him all day, but you still do not correct the main thing why Hashem put you here. And obviously it can reflect on a person's life. Now, going back to the question we ask. Why an innocent kid will fall into the same category like the adults? With the adults, I just explained how it works or how it may work. But what, it doesn't apply to the little children. The answer is... Please try to understand what I say. I don't bring it from my own imagination or ideas. It's 100% come from Judaism. And if you need the sources, I'll, I'll supply you with all the sources. When you see a little kid, you're thinking, what a cute baby. What a cute kid. Adults love children more than they love adults. It's a fact. They're more attracted to little children. They want to hug them. They want to kiss them. When they suffer, they feel even more worse when they see an adult suffering. It's a natural thing. Why is it? Why people are very attracted and they love children so much? The answer is because the soul of these children are still pure. As long as the sin do not stick to the soul, our soul is feeling a huge spiritual attraction to the soul of this little kid. Why? Because our soul has some spiritual stains from the sins that we made in our life and our soul wish to be like this soul that this, this the, the mistakes that this child is doing still does not stick to his soul so it's obviously a spiritual attraction that we don't even know how to explain it automatically we feel pity on the kid so when chas shalom this kid becomes sick it's a bigger devastation for us than when someone is adult as much as we suffer but by the kids it's more sensitive to us that's why most of the people in the world when they have to contribute their time and money if they have the choice between helping adult sicknesses or children they right away feel much bigger energy to go and put their time by helping the children which is a hundred percent natural 
The question is, why a kid like this, which I just said that his soul is still pure until his bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah, why to begin with, he is paying for something that he has not done? The answer is, all these children subject, it's one huge illusion. There's really no such thing, children. When you see a child, you look at a, at a small body of a little man or a little woman, and you're thinking, oh, there's a little kid, what does he know from his life? Or a baby in his crib. But the truth is that the soul of this kid was already in this world in bodies of adults just like us many times before. Sometimes once, twice, five times, ten times, it could be even fifty times. What does it mean? One of the ways that the world is operating, the way Hashem made the world is, that when a person passed away, he comes in front of Hashem and he has a trial. Hashem concludes with that individual his entire life, Jew, non-Jew, every human being has a trial. He comes in front of Hashem, as the Gemara described, first question for a boy, for a man, did you set up time to learn Torah every day? Second question, did you conduct all your business with honesty and integrity? Were you an honest, decent person, or you a deceiver, a liar, a cheater, a thief, etc.? So once a person has right away such a massive attack when he passed away and he's standing in front of Hashem, right away the third question is, Tzipita Yeshua. Did you expect the salvation of Hashem through Mashiach? Did you expect it daily as the Torah required or not? Right away, three very serious questions, and of course, all the other millions of questions about our lifetime. When Hashem concludes the trial, there are a few possibilities. One, He sends this person to heaven because that's where he deserves to go. Second, He doesn't deserve to go to heaven, so He has to go to other places which are not as pleasant. Those places will force the person to be cleaned, which means what you did not clean in your free choice that Hashem gave you in your lifetime, you will be forced to be cleaned by others. It's not in your hand anymore. It's like a machine. You put the suit inside the machine, and the machine takes away all the stain. But the difference is, over here we're talking about physical stains, and over there we're speaking spiritual stains that the sins of the person made on his soul. And unfortunately, it's painful. And there's other options. One of the most common options is reincarnation. That Hashem will give that person another chance to come back to another test. It may be 10 years, it may be 70 years of life, it may be 100 years of life. doesn't matter so much. What matters right now is that Hashem took that Moshe and He told the Moshe, I'm not so satisfied with the way you lived your life. You did obviously some nice things. But there are too many problems with you. So instead of forcing you to be clean, what I will do is take you, Moshe, that soul, and put you in a new body, and your new name will be Reuven, and you will be born in Ocean Parkway in Brooklyn, and those are going to be your parents, and I'm going to put you there soon because the woman just became pregnant, and in 40 days I have to push a soul into that baby, baby's body. So in 30-something days from now, I'm sending you back to this world, and you will be born, and they'll put you in yeshiva, and they'll give you the Jewish education, and your mother is shomeret mitzvot, and your father is shomeret mitzvot. I'm going to give you an opportunity to clean 
and to correct the mistakes that you made in this life. And Hashem makes that person forget that he was here in a different body and is born as a brand new product. And all the people in the world, mostly ignorant, that do not know Judaism and Kabbalah, they look at this baby as a first-time visitor in this world. They don't understand that this little cute baby that they just see here was already here five or fifteen times, and if you add together all his lifetime together, he could have been already 800 years old, right? In his first time, he was 70 years old. Second time, 90. Third time, 40. You add all his lifetime together, this little baby here is 800 years old. And 800 years has perhaps many, many, many sins that he brings from his lifetimes into his new life. Sometimes the only reason that Hashem sent this child to the world is to live X amount of years to receive all this horrible suffering as we witness in our days that it happens a lot, unfortunately. But really for the baby, even though it's hard to understand even what I'm saying here, try to, try to, at least try, for the baby is actually the best thing that can happen to him. The, the visit to this world, which will take three, four, five, ten years, whatever it takes, and then he leaves the world and he goes express to heaven. If you interview him in the time when he passed away, say, what do you think? How do you conclude this short life that you had? What his answer would be, Baruch Hashem, it's over. I'm very satisfied right now. They showed me my place in heaven. I'm very, very happy. I want to share with you a story that happened in the times of the Gaon Mivilna. The Vilna Gaon, the Vilna Gaon, it was about 250 years ago in Vilna, and he had a kid, uh, he had a Talmud, one of his students, that had a little kid, and the kid lived only a few days, and after many years that this couple could not have children, they finally had a child. And this child came to the world, and after three days, Lo Aleinu, he passed away. Three days. That's it. What we call in Hebrew, Mavet Arisa. That is in his creed, before he even came to the world, he already left the world. Obviously, that Talmud of the Gaon Mivilna was devastated, was very depressed. And they told the Gaon Mivilna that this Talmud is very broken, so he asked to bring him to him. And when he came to his rabbi, the rabbi told him, Gaon Mivilna was in a level that we cannot even imagine in our world somebody like that in a very very high level in case he did not know he was sleeping only one and a half hours per 24 hours that's it half an hour half an hour half an hour that's it and learn all his life Torah and even after he did not see sister for 50 years it wasn't like today internet calling Google Facebook you can search for people that you forgot where they are it was a different world. No, no media, no nothing, no telephone, no mail like today. So if you missed where your sister is and you don't know what city she lives, you may never see her again in your entire lifetime. This is the way it was. So what happened? After 50 years, when he finally, his sister located him, he gave her one minute of his time. One minute. He told her there's no time to waste in this world. In the afterlife, we'll join together again. Right now I have a mission in life and every minute is precious. This is the kind of people we're talking about. When he was nine years old, angels were begging him to teach him all the secrets of Kabbalah and he refused to accept the answers. 
he say, I will reach it at the right time with my own effort. This is the kind of soul we are talking here about. So he called his student and he told him, you're probably wondering why Hashem, after making you wait so many years for a baby, gave you a baby and took it back from you after three days, right? So he said, of course, how can I not wonder? So he told him, let me explain to you who this baby was. A few years ago, there was a non-Jewish person who started to learn about Judaism, and he came to the conclusion that it's the only truth of Hashem. There's 80,000 religions and cults in the world. They all came after Judaism. They all tried to imitate Judaism more or less. The only truth of Hashem is the Torah that was given to the Jewish nation in front of millions of witnesses. That's it. No other nation received the book from Hashem in a public event in front of millions of witnesses that heard the voice of God. It never happened. It only happened once, only to the Jewish nation. Everything else that came later, it's a story of one individual who never supplied one evidence to any discussion that he ever had with God. Only fairy tales. But besides that, not one, one witness to back up his story they never brought. So now, he said to him, this non-Jew, he started to realize that he must convert, and he converted eventually to Judaism, and he became such a righteous Jew that when he died, he came in front of Hashem, Hashem was so impressed from him, from the level that he reached, as someone who grew up a non-Jew and became such a holy, righteous Jew, even HaKadosh Baruch Hu was impressed by him. So imagine what level he got, this uh, convert. So what happened? Hashem said to him, look, your place is in heaven according to the level and the efforts that you put in your lifetime is set. You have a wonderful place where I'm sending your neshama to, your soul. But I'm willing to give you an upgrade. What's the upgrade? Since you were born without holiness, after all, your mother wasn't Jewish, so it wasn't the purity, or Hashem purified the Jewish nation. It's a little bit different. So yes, eventually you made yourself holy by converting and all the things, but you didn't... The way that you came to the world, the pregnancy wasn't 100% the way I like it to be. So I'm giving you an opportunity to be born as a Jew. This one, it wasn't in your hand. Everything else that was in your hand, you did. You achieved. But this wasn't in your hand. That was my decision. So I'm giving you an opportunity to be born again, just, just to be born as a Jew. And right away, I take you away from the world. And I put you in the highest place, even higher than what I'm willing to send you right now. This is my rules. Rules are rules. I'm not twisting the rules for you, with all due respect. So would you like to be born and die right away? And that convert say, of course, Hashem. If you're suggesting such a thing, it's, it's obviously good for me. Of course I want it. So the Gaon Mivilna said to his student, from all the people in the world... Hashem chose you and your wife to send you such a holy, righteous person. Instead of dancing and crying tears of happiness, you're crying tears of depression. What kind of a believer you are? And I don't have to tell you that the tears of depression turned into such tears of joy, you almost started to sing from happiness. 
that Hashem is thinking so highly of you, of me, for giving me this kid that needs such a correction. And suffering, in case you did not know, is the number one correction in this world. Any other way, a person cannot achieve what suffering can achieve. I'll give you an example. There was one Jew is walking one day in a forest, and an antisemite uh, Gentile saw him and started to hit him. He saw no one is there. Oh, now I can take advantage on the situation. He started to hit him with a stick, and obviously was breaking bones and making him suffer a lot. All of a sudden, the Jew got lucky, and the king, with some soldiers, showed up in the middle of the forest. And the king saw that one citizen is hitting another citizen. So he stopped him right away. He said, what are you doing? He said, hey, your majesty, what do you care? You know, he said, a Jew, you know, I, I was taking my anger on him. So he said to him, oh, yeah. He said to the soldier, arrest him right away. Can I, not, I cannot allow things like this in my country. Arrest him right away and take this Jew to my doctor in my palace to take care of him. After a few days that the Jew was, you know, in a hospital there in a, in a, by the king and the doctors are treating him. So after a few days, the king decided to make a trial. So he called that anti-Semite person, he called him in and he said, approximately how many times you hit him? He was afraid, maybe the king was there all alone, maybe the king was there, so I cannot lie. So he said to the king, I, approximately a hundred times. So the king told him, for every time you hit him, you have to give him a thousand rubles, which makes it right away a huge amount of money. So the Jew became instantly rich. So the, the Jew started to cry. First time he's crying now, in the house of the king. So the king looked at him and said, what's wrong? I wasn't a fair judge. He said, no, you're more than fair. You're a decent, honest, righteous king. Not, the problem is not you, your majesty. So why are you crying? He said, if I knew in a forest that he's beating me up every time he hits me, it's a thousand rubles, I would not resist so much. I wouldn't resist. I would bend my back by and say, do it faster. Don't waste time. I'm losing money. Sounds like a joke. But it's a fantastic example of explaining the suffering in this world. The Torah says, Asher Yoav Hashem Yeyasro. Someone that Hashem loves, He is doing him, believe it or not, as hard as it may sound, and as difficult as it sounds to believe, He sends him suffering to cleanse his soul that he can take him to heaven for eternity. That X amount of suffering, which is, believe it or not, it may even take 10, 20, 30 years, which looks forever, but for the soul of that individual, it's a blink of the eye. Blink of the eye. Ha'olam hazeh chazal say, keheref ayin. You know heref ayin? Heref means la'arpot, a relief, a, a break. The eye, every six, seven seconds, a person is blinking. Why? Windshield wiper. You need to clean the dust. There's lots of dust in here. And Hashem did it in such a way that it will be so fast that a person will never realize that he's blinking so many times. Imagine if it would be in a slow motion. person is driving, he has a sharp turn, and now all of a sudden his eyes are closing in a slow motion. 
by the time it opens up, he finds himself in all the way down the hill in Sodom and Gomorrah over there, you know. So what's happening? Hashem did it so quick that it will clean the eye, and plus the muscle of the eyelashes, the muscle should rest a little bit. Constantly is working. Every few seconds it gets a short relief. And this is how a life of a person, 70, 80, 90 years, everything is functioning. A wonderful machine. Hazal comparing the life in this world like that blink of the eye. Before you realize it's over. People are putting all their efforts here. They're killing themselves, making money, building beautiful mansions, cars, jewelry, vacation. They want to eat good. They want to feel good. Yes, it's natural. But if they only will digest and understand how much efforts we put in such a temporary step, they would laugh at themselves. They laugh. It's like a person who gets on a bus and he has to go three blocks on a bus. What three blocks on a bus compared to eight years' lifetime? Nothing. Imagine in that one minute that he's on a bus, he wants to put all his efforts to improve his one minute on a bus. He takes all his money and he... Everyone say to him, hey, before you realize you're getting off the bus, why are you killing yourself so much? The bus is this world. You're getting off the bus, you're going back to Hashem. You're going back to a much better place. Why are you killing yourself so much? I know it's easy to talk and it's much harder to do and also to change the feelings from suffering, from pain into happiness and joy. How many people in this world can do it? Not that many. But at least to understand, it's already a relief. And I would like to answer one more question, and I'm sure that it bothers each one of you from the day you were born, or from the day you started to understand what you're doing here. There's a famous question that everybody asks. So how am I supposed to know why Hashem is punishing me for? Okay, obviously I understand that Hashem did not give me a candy here. If He gave me this pain... If he gave me this doctor and the surgeries, and plus the parents also suffering just as much. Sometimes the parents suffer more than the kid. The kid runs in hospital, play with the ball and smile and laugh, and the parents in the corner are sitting and crying because they understand the situation. He doesn't understand. So the person is asking, why I lost money? I don't know. Why I became sick? I don't know. Why I missed the flight? I don't know. Why I miss my shiduch after putting six months of my time and efforts into it and now my heart is broken to pieces? I don't know. Why Hashem gave me such, uh, you know, all kinds of problems that we have? We don't know. So if Hashem doesn't tell us why He's sending us the smack for, what's the point of sending smacks? When you want to give a smack to your kid, you hit his hand, you have to tell him, you know why I'm patching you on your head? Because you stole a candy without permission from the closet. Make sure it never happens again. We warn you once. We warn you twice. This is the third time you're doing it. That's why you're getting a patch on your head. We want you to feel that little pain on your hand. Next time when you come to steal, you think. Because maybe the punishment next time will be harder. It's affecting him. You get him scared a little bit. We are trying to help him to go to the right track. But Hashem doesn't tell us. If the suffering would come with a price tag on it, this suffering come for being Mechalel Shabbos that day. This one for stealing in that business. This one for the Lashon Arai spoke about that person. This one for walking in the street not modest. 
and be machtiyat arabim. If he would come with a tag, then at least the person would know what Hashem is, is wanting from him. If Hashem is hiding and he doesn't tell us what the problem is coming for, how exactly we would know what to correct? Good question, right? Did you have that question in your life before or no? The answer is, in order for us to understand the answer to this question, we have to first ask another question. The Torah says, his name is Arachman. In Shloshisre Midot Arachamim, the Yag Midot that we say in a month of Elul Elat and on Monday and Thursday, there is something that we call Hashem, Hashem, El Rachum Vechanun. Rachum, Rachman. Even the Arabs, when they call Hashem in his name, one of the names, they call him El Rachman, El Rachim. Rachman means merciful. Rachim is the one who has mercy. Where did they learn the concept that Hashem has mercy? How do they know? Maybe Hashem doesn't have. How do they know? They learn from the Torah, just like they learn everything else from the Torah, about Ibrahim, about Sarah, about uh, Akedah, and about not to eat pork, and many and not to charge interest. They learn a lot of things from the Torah. Same thing, they learn that Hashem's name is Arachman. This is one of his main names. However, let's be realistic for a minute. We want, we're trying to understand Chas Shalom. we're not complaining. We're not allowed to complain. There's no permission to be a complainer in Judaism. No permission. No matter what happened, Chas Shalom. everything is good right now. Not like some people say, Yetov, he will be good. That's Kfirah. He has to say, it's very good right now. Why? Hashem say, Kol man de'avid rachmana latav avid right now, not tomorrow. Yeah, it may take you 10 years to realize, but right now is 100% good for you. However, we have to be realistic. Dear God, I really don't understand how exactly you Rahman, you merciful. I don't understand. I see so much suffering in the world. So many miserable people, so many depressed people, so many sad people, so much agony, so many things, physical and emotional and spiritual problems. Where exactly is the mercy? Why don't we even know why we have this suffering for? The answer is, this is exactly where the mercy comes into place. If Hashem would send us the suffering with the tag to identify this suffering came for that specific sin, and this one for that specific sin, He would have to give us a hundred times more suffering than what he already giving us. Why? With all due respect to all of us, we're not exactly living 100% according to the rule. We're trying sometimes, but we have other things that we do wrong. We have to be honest. This is what we say in Evidu every day. We don't have the nerve to come and say we clean. The Torah says, you have to admit for what you do wrong and Hashem will have mercy on you. But if you refuse to admit, you will never have mercy. Why? What does it say? It says, Someone that covers for his crimes will never be successful. Mode means I admit. Somebody asks you, tell me in one word what Judaism is. You have to say one word. What is it? Mode. Mode. Mode in Hebrew means two meanings. One word, same spelling, two different meanings. 
Mode means I admit. Mode means thank you. That's what Judaism is all about. Mode, I admit. Person should be fear, God-fearing Jew in his hidden rooms, just like as he's on the street in front of the people putting the show. Admitting always to the truth, until he gets to a situation that shavim. That his mouth and his heart will be identical exactly, not faker. In his heart one thing and in his mouth the opposite. So what's going on here? So Hashem said to us, the reason why the suffering does not come with the, with the tag is because I don't want you to know why the punishment came for what sin. That's the whole point. I want to hide it from you. Why? Since you do not know why you received this suffering from this life, from previous life, from something you did 20 years ago, for something you did yesterday, you don't know. And with something, a person begins to analyze his life. Do I speak Lashonara? Every day. Do I come to shul on time? Never. Do I keep Shabbat 100% the way Hashem expects me? Not always. Do I do, give enough tzedakah? Hashem gave me so much money. Do I give enough tzedakah? I know that I don't. Yeah, people kiss my hand. They think I'm a bill uh, philanthropist. But only Hashem and I knows the secret that I have five billion, not me. Don't, <laughs> don't stand online. Huh? I'll just give you an example. Hashem, no, he gave me five billion dollars and I only gave two million this year. Oh, so everyone respects me. Why? One woman called me up. She said, I need 20 mezuzot. I said, for who? She said, for my brother. I know this woman is very religious and very righteous. I had to assume that her brother is at least traditional. So I said, what, your brother doesn't have mezuzot? She said, no. He refused to put mezuzot. So I told her, a Sephardi Jew, a brother of such righteous woman like you, refused to put mezuzot? The biggest apicorsim has mezuzot in their homes. People who has shalom deny there is a God, they have mezuzot. People who fight against the Torah day and night have mezuzah. Someone like this doesn't have mezuzah. He doesn't believe in any of it. So then came my next question. So I said, okay, so what happened? Did he become sick? She said, no, worse. So I said, what can be worse? What can be worse? So she said, the, uh, the IRS, but not regular IRS, like the FBI IRS with the batches, came into his business, put handcuffs on him in front of all his employees, and put him in jail, they found that he put $50 million in the Israeli bank, and the Israeli reported to the IRS, that's the new role, that he hides over there lots of money that he never paid taxes on. He's facing many years in prison. Now he, he wants mezuzot. So then the woman screamed with tears, I didn't know my brother is so rich. Twenty years I was begging him if he can give a little bit to this and to this needy family and to that and to this. He said, business is very bad. Business is tough. I hardly pay my bills. Fifty million dollars laying in a bank account overseas and he cried to her that he himself needs help. These lies can only last here. And Hashem knows the truth. So bottom line, 
we are far away from being clean. The world is a stage and each one of us is an actor, some more, some less. Let's face it. But the question is now, since Hashem sent us that problem, instead of blaming Him, instead of blaming Hashem, let's try to see what we can improve. So what are we doing here? We say, maybe Hashem sent it for the Lashonara, I don't know. Maybe for the Shabbat, I don't know. Maybe for the, I'm not so glad kosher, I don't know. Maybe for this, maybe for not learning enough Torah, maybe the way I dress, maybe the way I do, maybe the way I talk, so, maybe I don't have a muna, maybe, maybe I'm not on it. A person begins to think, he has a list all the way from here to Zimbabwe. He has a very long list. And he doesn't know which one Hashem is upset about. Because he does not know, he fixed half of the list. One strike made him fix 10 or 20 or 50 different problems. But if each suffering would come with a tag, then the person would only fix one and Hashem will be forced to send right away another one and another one and another one and another one. That's, that's called Arachman. That's called mercy. I'm sending you an anonymous suffering. You don't know for what. Expecting you to fix everything. That I don't have to give you another one because the way the Torah is reward and punishment. Face it. That's the reality. Yeah, there are people in this generation, they try to cover and hide what the Torah says. But we as people who seek for honesty, we should always remember that Torah is full of rewards, but there's also a price to pay. If a person knows what I do wrong, it will be one day that I will have to pay the bill. A person receives a credit card and he runs and he shops everywhere like crazy, a month later, the bill comes and becomes depressed. When he sees how much he has to pay now, even the things that he bought, he doesn't enjoy anymore. <laughs> Why? When he looks at these new boots that he bought for $1,000, or she, usually it's just she. One time I was invited to put mezuzot in someone's house, somewhere in New York State. And uh, they say, uh, bring a lot of mezuzot. So, uh, how many is a lot of mezuzot? 20, 30? So I asked her, how many? She said, at least a hundred bring. So, wow, a hundred? It sounds like a school with many classes, five, six floors. No? No, no, it's a house. Okay. <laughs> so I came over there with an assistant. Didn't expect that. More than 80 mezuzot we had to put. We started in the morning, we finished by sunset. We almost didn't make it to Mincha. All day we worked there to put mezuzot in this house. Because we try to figure out if we've been in all the rooms. But why I remember that now? When I went to the bedroom, I saw, without exaggeration, maybe 300 pairs of shoes. The room, the closet for the shoes of that lady was so big that the closet also need mezuzah. Why? Five people can live there all year round. I don't know why women love shoes so much. I don't know, but this is it. Let's conclude. Time is running out. Let's conclude. Look, sometimes people would suffer X amount of years and then the miracle happens and Hashem helps and they come out. We, do the, we have to do the best we can do. If we have to raise money for them, we have an obligation. We have to pray for them. We have to help the family. We have to do everything we can. We cannot rely on a miracle. 
especially when we are far away from being in a level like Avraham and David Amelech or Rabbi Akiva or Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, we're not in that league. We have to do our best efforts. Cannot say, oh, I'll pray for you. No, you have money, help with money. You have time, help with time. You have the ability to organize, organize events like this. And, and a, a perfect example, J. Root Radio. It's the heart of the community. Heart. You know what a heart? A body without a heart is worthless. The kidney is nothing. The lung is nothing. The ligament is nothing. If the heart is not there, everything else is worthless. Bringing the community together, broadcast divrei Torah, kosher music, nice things, so many people making more tshuva, improving, broadcasting life to so many places. This is it. This is the help. Not just to organize an event for two, three hundred ladies if you can bring it to 30,000 people. And how? This is it. A person has to know, invest in Kiruv. Kiruv is not only for secular people like some people think. Kiruv is for rabbis. Kiruv is for Ashe Shivot. Kiruv is for Avrechim. I know from experience. Some people, their entire life changed for listening to a Kiruv lecture. I had a Hasidish Rebbe who was teaching Mara all his life. One time we invited him to our seminar. I saw him sitting in the last row and crying non-stop. Three-day seminars in hotel. Hasidish, Talmid Chacham, all his life in Torah. I came to him, I said, Rabbi, why are you crying? What happened? He said, you don't understand, all my life I learned, all my life I learned Torah. And now I've seen some of these Gemarot that I learned so many times and taught my Talmidim in my life. And I just realized now that I never saw that this is a proof that the Torah is divine. I learned it, I taught it, but I didn't see it the way you presented it. So it excites me so much that I look at the Torah from a different point of view. I feel for the first time that I'm in a very high level of emunah in Hashem. This is a person who taught Gemara all his life and grew up in a very ultra-Orthodox Hasidic community. Why? The words of Torah can be mekarev, even a big Talmid Chacham. Needless to say, most of, of the people in the world are not Talmid Chachamim. And the way to do it today is using the media correctly. So, Bezrat Hashem, each one of us has to do the best we can. All these organizations who help are very, very blessed. And it's cause unity. Some of the sicknesses that these kids or adults have bring unity to the nation of Israel. There's no chaz v'shalom racism, there's no machlokot anymore. When there is a problem that it touch each one of us, it should bring us more closer. That's one of the reasons sometimes that Hashem brings these problems. To see if in times of problem we give up our ego and pride and all the other nonsense that we live by and we finally stick to the truth and do the right thing. And believe it or not, there are people who even in times of tragedies like this won't put their ego down. They won't, no matter what happened. But that's not what Hashem wants. Hashem brought it for a reason. Every one of us should feel that it's his own child. The Gemara says, Every Jew that can pray with the gate of tears never lacked. The Gemara says, Everyone that can pray 
for another Jew and does not do it, become a sinner immediately. Hashem is looking at him as a sinner. What sinner? Rabbi, I never make sins. Yes, you do. You know when you make the sins? You make the sins when you see someone is crying and suffering and you go to work as usual. What is the problem? I'm going to work. Everyone goes to work. Or I'm going to learn Torah. What do you want? I want I heard one big rabbi one time said we get all these envelopes family in problem this kid is sick this family lost the father this family lost this this family is about to lose what people do they get so many of them they got used to it this is the biggest danger to get used to the suffering of other people like it's nothing so what people do, they don't even open the envelope. They put it right in the garbage. It's a horrible crime. What about Noseba Olim Chavero? There's another Jew that his life just got destroyed. It could have been you. How can you put this in the garbage? Someone is calling for help, sending envelopes. But I'm not rich. Send five dollars. But I don't even have five dollars. I'm in big debt. My rabbi told me I'm not allowed to give tzedakah until I pay my bills. So call your rich friends. Tell them, listen, I cannot afford. Can you help this family? Can you help that family? Can you help this organization? This is a, this is a kosher Jew. Kosher Jew is someone who cares about others. I want to thank, first of all, this Achiezer, beautiful shul here. I spoke, last time I spoke here was more than 10 years ago. I wish I come here in a happier occasion. But we are here, and like I said, everything is for good. Everything, even if it's hard to see. The Gemara say a person should seek to go for funerals more than he goes to weddings. Why? Who wants to go to funerals? Everyone wants to go to wedding and eat good and dance and enjoy the music and meeting friends and everyone is smiling. Who wants to go to a funeral or to Menachem Avelim? The point is... When a person goes to such places, immediately he makes tshuva by seeing what's happening there. But when he saw the dancing and the drinking and everyone is happy, it doesn't bring tshuva. Yeah, it brings pleasure, but it doesn't make you closer to Hashem. Like when you see, Shalom, what's the end of the human being? A blink of the eye before we realize it's over. We might as well get as much as we can from this blink of the eye. Because that's it. It may be the last opportunity. Be'ezrat Hashem, I, who I am to bless, but uh, even Birkat Ediot, it's something. It can't be something. I bless all these children and all these families to have good news, Sorotovot, full recovery for every one of the Jewish patients in the world and all the other people that needs refuah. Be'ezrat Hashem. And uh, Hashem will have mercy on us. And finally, Bezrat Hashem Niskele Biat Mashiach. Thank you, Linda, for inviting me. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Shavuatov.